I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of February 2021, and we are in the midst of our sports movie month. Essentially, what we're going to be doing from week to week is uh, taking a look at a sports drama. Um, And the way we've organized things, uh, basically, we're going to be taking a look at a different sport each week. Um, So Kyle had the pick once again. Uh, Last week, we covered uh, Vision Quest from 1985, a film about high school wrestling, uh, folk style, if I remember correctly. Correct. Um, But this week, uh, Kyle, what film are we going to be covering? Uh, This week is Any Given Sunday from 1999, directed by Oliver, not Platt, Oliver Stone. I almost said Oliver Platt. You wish. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right. Yeah, directed by Oliver Stone. Uh, He did Platoon and some other stuff. Um, Yeah, uh, I was excited to revisit this one. I, I watched it. A couple of months ago, and I, I, that's probably what kicked off the idea of doing sports dramas because I know Trevor has sports. Trevor likes sports dramas. I'm like, he's definitely got an arsenal of boxing movies he wants me to watch. So I'm like, this would be, <laughs> this would be the perfect time. You guys should have seen his face. <laughs> his eyes just lit up. Like, yeah, I have a lot of boxing movies you can watch. Um, but yeah, I chose this one because uh, well, the Super Bowls this Sunday. We're recording this right before the Super Bowl. It seemed like a good time to talk about it. Yeah, um, I was actually kind of shocked that Kyle was the one to propose uh, Sports Movie Month because uh, as it as it stands, uh, Kyle is largely probably the more fervent sports fan between the two of us. We're we're both sports fans in our own right. Um, it just so happens uh, the only sport I really love uh, is a weird niche sport that <laughs> only people in Eastern Europe care about, <laughs> at least any or and Mexico. But um, that would be boxing. But. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was very excited to take on this project this month, um, and I think it's fitting that the Super Bowl, uh, arguably like the largest or at least most money-generating uh, sporting event um, annually, uh, happens this week. Uh, we the, are recording if you are uh, not, on if, the 4th of February. Yes, if you're not from America listening to this, it's the biggest day of the year. There's nothing more important than Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a reason why you know all the largest advertising slots... Uh, occur during the super bowl or at least traditionally they did now that we have internet advertising and things of that nature uh i'm not sure uh how many eyeballs they get like has, has the super bowl ratings like have they been going down in recent years no no it's, it's <laughs> not at all <laughs> okay well that doesn't shock me at all but um before we get into the movie proper uh one thing that I like to do um, for these theme months is just like share a little something about our, our connection to like the, the source material, I guess, in this case, the sport of American football. Um, so Kyle being, as you pick the movie, um, you want to let us know what your connection to football is. Uh, yeah, I actually didn't really watch football as a kid. Uh, I was more of a movie guy. I started playing guitar in middle school and high school and that took up most playing guitar took up most of my time. Um, so it wasn't until after I got out of high school that I started watching football uh, it it was just it was the one thing that was kind of readily available and easy to kind of pick up on. And as I got older, I, I started watching it a bit more. Uh, got a team to rally behind, and uh, been been watching it for for quite a while now. Um, this movie specifically, I think I watched before I really got into football, and I didn't really it, it didn't really appeal to me when I first watched it because I was still pretty young. So when I went back and revisited, I'm like, oh wow, this movie's actually really good, and it was 
pretty innovative at the time. Uh, they kind of marketed this film as like the first time we're like on the field, like getting these cool close-up shots and like seeing the action just like right there. Like watching it now, it's like, eh, we do a pretty good job with normal broadcasts. Like it's really stepped up, but. Uh, but this was like the first movie, and Oliver Stone really likes to do this. He likes to give you what's really happening with uh, with certain things, and I I still like revisiting this movie. I think it's still very informative. Yeah, yeah, no, it it was very innovative for its day. Uh, it was very much ahead of its time. In fact, uh, they didn't have the vocabulary um, back when this film was made in 1999. Um, but even things like head trauma and like CT are referenced in the script of the film but like i said they didn't have the label to slap on it like we have these days um but yeah very ahead of its time and uh, i think it's <laughs> i think it's very telling that they were unable to obtain the nfl license mm-hmm. uh, because uh, the behavior of many of the characters in the story um more than likely uh, didn't sit well with the governing body of the nfl and uh, they're like no you are not putting our logos and our our signage and our our team insignias in your film like we are not going to be affiliated with that at all yeah um but i'm curious kyle uh you said you found a team um what what made you like settle on on your team uh my 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 dad my grandpa i grew up around bears fans so uh coming around bears fans and then my uh my stepdad was a colts fan and when it came time for me to kind of get behind a team and like well, I don't want to be a Bears fan because the Bears sucked at the time. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I don't want to be a Colts fan because it just feels, it kind of feels like I'm siding with my stepdad at that point, you know? It just, it doesn't feel right. So I'm like, you know what? I have a good friend who's a Packers fan. And I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to start following the Packers. And yeah, I've been doing that for, for quite a while. You see, I think that's really neat because I, I feel like that, like, what what I know of you as a person that seems kind of fitting, where it's like you you have a little bit of a, like a, a nomadic spirit to you. It's like yeah, I'll just point to the team I like rather than the one that's from my neighborhood and just yeah. be like yeah, I think I like them over there. I'll just go I'll go hang out with them. <laughs> I, I hold nothing dear to my home my home state. There's nothing I love about it that I want to. <laughs> there's, there's nothing I want to remember about living there. It's like no, I'm fine. It, it's all good. Yeah, and I mean, to me, actually, that's always been a little bit of like a conundrum about uh, the nature of like, like multi-million dollar like major league sports uh, is the idea of a a team representing a community, mm. as represented by a bunch of players who are not from that community, right. <laughs> who are being paid millions of dollars to represent that community. I, I just I I was I, civic pride was never ingrained in me as a child, so it didn't translate as an adult that i should rally around the team that i i grew up around the this in this place i'm like eh, i didn't like it though so i don't want to i don't want to go for that team <laughs> it's like if you're from cleveland like you don't have to go for the browns dude like if if, if, if you don't like living there like go for the, go for the Bengals, dude you can do that oh that reminds me of a great king of the hill moment where uh hank hill is taking bobby uh to like the cowboys training field um and i think it's in like north texas mm. and uh they they bump into this guy and hank hill gives the guy how about them cowboys <laughs> and the guy says oh my god you fucking north texas people you keep coming through here saying how about them cowboys <laughs> and then he starts mocking hank hill saying like well you know what in 10 minutes i could be in the great state of oklahoma <laughs> <laughs> he starts singing the sooners fight song <laughs> it's just like 
like Hank Hill's soul is just crushed. Like, how dare you live next door to the Cowboys training facility and root for the other guys? I also <laughs> love weird. the NFC North. I, uh, it's the coldest, uh, besides like the Northeast, like New England. Like for the winter time, it is fucking cold. And if you're gonna play in those stadiums, which Soldier Field and Lambeau Field are both outdoor stadiums, in the winter time, like it, it's fucking cold. And I, I like that you're gonna have to go through those places in the winter time. <laughs> Didn't stop the Bucks though. God damn it. Yeah. Uh, so. I don't have a whole lot to say about my personal connection to football other than I don't really have one per se. I've never been a super huge football fan, um, mostly because if memory serves, the Seahawks were pretty bad when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. Um, Even their like helmet design didn't appeal to me as a kid. I actually really liked the Rams helmet when I was a kid. I did too. Everybody did. (laughs) They had a cool helmet. (laughs) So, like, they were kind of my team where it's like, I know nothing about the sport, but I like that helmet, so I'm going to go with them. And then every time I'd see the Seahawks on television as a very small child, I was like, oh, well, they just suck. (laughs) And the Raiders just beat. Like, that was my memories of football as a child was the Raiders smashing the Seahawks. And I was like, oh, well, there's no reason to pay attention to this. Plus, you know, half of my family, the Hawaiian contingent, they were all about the San Francisco 49ers. Of course. Like, apparently that's a Hawaiian thing or something. Or maybe it's because, like, a, a large portion of the family also relocated to NorCal and stuff. But um, anyway, yeah, I didn't really latch on to the sport at any point. Um, I did have some fun, like, watching when the team was doing well with, like, family and stuff. Like, when we had our Super Bowl run and stuff. Like, I, I remember watching with family and having fun there, but... I never hopped on the bandwagon proper. Yeah. It's it's just a, you know, it's a spectacle sport. It's fairly easy to digest with, with just your eyeballs and, like, a very basic understanding of how the game plays out. Um, it's also a yeah, lot of fun I, to, it, like, pick up and play. That was the other thing I was going to point out was, like, as a kid, like, playing soccer at recess was a lot of fun. They'd shut down football pretty quick if it got out of hand. But it was always a lot of fun to play. Like, it's just, as a kid, I just loved to run. So I'm just like, whatever, whatever we can do to run. It's so much fun. <laughs> Lions and tigers and bears. <laughs> I had a lot of energy as a kid. I, I had to run. Crab cakes and football. <laughs> um, num, 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 num. <laughs> uh, but last thing before we uh, transition away from talking sports and whatnot. Um, Super Bowl, Kyle. Uh, the big game at the end of the year. Uh, being as this is the 4th of November, um, where we are recording this episode. Um, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I could say what I think is going to happen, what I hope happens. What I think is going to happen is fucking the Bucks are going to win because I want the Kansas City Chiefs to win. Uh, but I don't know if you know this or not. Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, he's like 24, I think, maybe 25. He signed one of the biggest, I think it might be the biggest deal in NFL history. It's a 10-year deal with the Kansas City Chiefs. That's how good he is as a quarterback. Like He's, he's like one-in-a-million kind of player. So I think it's going to be very good, but Tom Brady has been to the Super Bowl several times, like a lot of times. He's won it a lot of times, but he's also <laughs> been to it a lot of times. Um, but you also have a team that just got off a Super Bowl win, so I don't know. It really could go either way. Like I, that's the beautiful thing about the Super Bowl is like I don't, I honestly don't know. It, this is the two best teams in the league, apparently. Okay, well, I hope you get your wish, but uh, literally the only bit of insight. I haven't watched a game, let alone a highlight of this entire season, this (laughs) entire fucking busted-ass season. 
Um, but the one thing that I'll throw out there is like, is this relevant? This is this is the one card I have to play, Kyle. So mm-hmm. be gentle. Uh-huh. If memory serves, Patrick Mahomes got his head caved in. Like he got his bell rung a while back. He did just get his bell rung, and that was the week before. It was two or a couple weeks before. Yeah. yeah. He, he it, got little, could that have any bearing on the results? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think I, he was fine. He ended up suit like if he had not been okay, he wouldn't have been playing the next week, and he played the next week. So I think he'll be totally fine. It was just okay, a well, just his bell rung. Not not big deal. Okay, just just curious. I mean, when in doubt, he can always flip the switch and go into Eli Manning savant mode and just <laughs> win the game and then be like, where am I? <laughs> Two of Tom Brady's Super Bowl losses have been to Eli Manning and the Giants, which is insane. I'm telling you, that, that, that switch, that savant mode, when it kicks in, those eyes, they just glaze over and the arm just knows what to do. And then at the end of the game, when they're all celebrating, he's probably just saying, where am I? What happened? <laughs> and nobody pays attention that this man just blacked out the entire game. <laughs> yeah, you're more you're more worried about like not so much when they just get their bell rung. It's more like when they go unconscious. You're like, oh fuck, that's not good. Like that's really not good. You hate to see it. <laughs> well, speaking of which, uh, this this movie, Any Given Sunday, doesn't begin with anyone going unconscious, but um, within the opening minutes, they kind of. Uh, introduce you to the kind of energy that the filmmaking is going to have here because uh, literally like minutes into the movie uh, Dennis Quaid is laid the fuck out yeah. um, and is like tearing grass out of the field like squirming on his back um, but yeah uh, this movie it needs to be said is an Oliver Stone production um, and he is letting you know every 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 shot every cut is is Oliver Stone like in his element or at least in his like 90s form because he's he's shed his skin a few times as a filmmaker um i want to say like the 90s kind of was where he really like hit his stride and kind of adopted his his brand um proper Uh, because like platoon for instance like the filmmaking there is is fairly straightforward like there's the the edits aren't aren't exactly experimental it's pretty straightforward it has narration which uh, some people would tell you is a no-no, but it works very, very, very well in that film. Um, but the filmmaking is very straightforward. It's beautiful, but it it doesn't have many gimmicks to it. And Wall Street has a few bells and whistles on it. Um, but then you get to like JFK and Natural Born Killers and this, and yeah. it's just like every trick in the book, like every every type of transition. We don't have any star wipes in this movie, and I'm kind of shocked that we don't <laughs> because like every lever and switch that can be flipped on the editing terminal was utilized at some point because we have multi-channel, we have strobe effects, we have superimposing old-timey footage on, t- on top yeah. of contemporary footage. We're doing thunderbolts at random times. We have the... R- we have God rays coming out of the back of someone's Jersey in a freeze frame at some point. Like this movie is, is if you take the phrase like MTV style editing and you look it up in the dictionary, this, this film actually would be a very good example of some of that, but it works. It's, it's actually kind of shocking that it works because it, it it's this fucking close to being absolutely un- obnoxious and intolerable. The doors I think is his, like besides platoon, I think the doors is his most like, like just just straightforward straightforward movie. Uh, have you seen that one with Val Kilmer? No, but you've been talking it up pretty much as long as I've known you. Yeah, I really enjoy it. I really think it's a good movie. I really think Val Kilmer's great in it. Like it, it's really good. 
Uh, but yeah, one one of the editing bits that I really like in this movie is the I like the Ben Hur editing with the uh, with the conversation. I, I don't know why I like that, uh, but the way his interview, Willie Beeman's interview, how it plays through quite a bit of like his progress. Like it starts off with him like being awesome, and then it's like going through these games where winning, we're winning, winning. Then you could see that him being like really super overconfident and cocky, and how that kind of where the, where that goes yeah that's actually it's a it's kind of gimmicky but it's actually like this movie isn't short by the way no it's like it's yeah, like sorry two about hours that, and, by the way <laughs> it's like two hours and 45 minutes no i i don't have a problem with that i'm just throwing it out there as fact like it's a very long movie and yet there's a lot of editing tricks they do in here that like if they hadn't done them the the length actually would have been greater and what i'm talking about is a lot of instances where things like uh exposition is delivered visually um that would be like um probably the best example i can think of or at least the most lucid that i can think of is uh al pacino um the coach of the sharks and uh, cameron diaz the owner of the sharks um the football team from miami um <laughs> uh they they're having an argument at like her home and they're going back and forth and they keep referencing players who this is only a half hour into the movie we've seen the players with their helmets and gear on do a game like we've seen them on the field but we haven't really been introduced to any of them as human beings yet so all these name drop like like all this name dropping that they're doing to us the audience it's like okay i'm totally lost i don't know what we're talking about um but very cleverly they slip in uh footage of that player that they're referencing like on the training field so we have two events happening simultaneously where we have people running drills and then we have them having their argument every time they reference an important player like willie beeman jamie fox they cut to him or they reference the what was it the receiver um or i don't i don't know the position he was playing but he was kind of hot dogging it he kind of cost them the game basically Um, yeah they reference him and then they show him on screen to let us know that's who we're talking about here and they do that several times in the film and and like you said about the interview which is one of the it's one of the better acted sequences in the film Mm -hmm. and they do they do make very good use of it um for like a whole third of the movie basically that scene at like lt's house like the house party Mm -hmm. um they use it very cleverly because they do this multi-channel thing where they have a little floating bubble (laughs) of the television interview happening while we're following jamie fox through the house party and what what that serves to do is it it colors the conversations uh, that he's having with all of his teammates it's like a it's a hitchcockian trick basically where it's the it's the bomb in the room uh concept where basically it's reminding us, the viewer, that he did this interview where he was shit-talking everyone and, like, inflating his own ego, like, to the public. And all of these people saw that video. Mm-hmm. And they're they're being pleasant right now, but they're this close to blowing up on him if he if he steps out of line just a little bit. Oh, and he does. <laughs> and uh, he does. <laughs> I was going to say, I think, I don't think you could have picked a more perfect cast, like, picking the actors for their strengths, because everybody crushes it in here. Even the uh, the athletes, the athlete actors in here. Yeah, uh, I think you you wanted to single out LT in particular. Uh, LT is of course Lawrence Taylor. He was a uh, he was a linebacker for many years. Um, I think he's excellent in this movie. He actually has some 
he has a good moment with Willie in the steam room, <laughs> steaming Willie Beeman in the steam room, which is good. But also <laughs> him him learning about his his fracture that he has. I think that's a really really good scene. Uh, and Jim Brown was also really doing a good job. Uh, but I gotta highlight him before we, before we lose him because he's kind of only at the top. Uh, Dad, go, uh, Andrew Briniarski, the Madman. He is magnetic in this movie. <laughs> yeah, actually, we had we had some familiar faces pop up in this movie, and that's not surprising given that the cast of this movie is like the length of a football field. Um, we have a ton of names, a ton of that guys in this movie. Um, but yeah, this uh, Mr. Brynjarski, uh the reason why Kyle is highlighting him is he's great in this film. Mm-hmm. He's he's done up to look like one of the Legion of Doom. Yeah. Like, um, he looks kind of like Animal, but without the mohawk and the mullet thing. Um, he's also just as fucking big as him. Jesus. He's huge. <laughs> and he is charismatic as fuck. And that is doubly so because, um, in case you weren't aware, uh, this, this fella... Also popped up in Street Fighter the movie mm-hmm. as Zangief, and he does it. He knocks it out of the park. He's hilarious. Uh, every line he has in that film is gold. But on top of that, this man also played Christopher Walken's son Chip in Batman Returns. It's incredible. In one of the most scene-stealing but <laughs> I... brief performances in a in a gigantic, like be- visually spectacular film. This this hulking giant in a, in an overcoat, dad. Dad, go save yourself. <laughs> I I think that there should be a separate Oscar for this. Like for one, Tim Burton should get an Oscar just for like how did you make him seem scale to Christopher Walken? Because this guy is a monster. He's not a guy that you can make look small. And then two, that guy to chameleon himself like away from that, like just like a joint Oscar. It's just like how'd you do it? <laughs> you just get that. <laughs> Honestly, the man has amazing comic timing, and he is a hulking giant. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, I was going to say, do you think Matthew Modine and Oliver Stone, when they saw each other, they just kind of saw each other in passing, like, hey, I love your Vietnam movie. <laughs> just kept going. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty sure in the casting process, he was like, you didn't think you were going to get away from me, did you? <laughs> like, I was, we I was going to find you at some point. <laughs> no, do you think he asked me, he was like, so... Uh, What'd you think of Platoon? He's like, I don't know. I really thought Full Metal Jacket was better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he just continue to be Joker to him. <laughs> just be a total fucking dick. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in case you weren't aware, Matthew Modine was the star of the sports drama we covered just last week. Uh, that would be Vision Quest. Um, he has a very small role in this film. But um, yeah, there's one other uh, very, very recent face that we've covered. Um and it's not a big one. I don't even know the fucking guy's name, but I'm pretty sure uh, Cameron Diaz's aide in this film is uh, Scapelli from Super Mario Brothers. Like uh, he he had more tan on his face, and his hair was done up different in Super Mario Brothers. But I'm pretty sure it was the same guy. He had a very similar vibe. Um, but, but yeah, a lot of familiar faces this time around. And uh, needs to be said, man. Lt, uh, I I think you're right. He uh, he really did bring something to this um in particular they were very wise to put him and jim brown together for a lot of their scenes mm-hmm. uh because they play off each other really really well they I mean, do they both they both fucking did the damn thing um and they have a fun energy between each other not fun it's it's actually very tense because it, jim brown is constantly harping on him and just like being extra brutal to him in training because there's expectations 
because yeah. he's he's the vet on the team. He's supposed to lead the charge, and he expects so much more from him. Um, and there's a lot of clever editing there where they're just like shooting each other looks. LT in particular actually looks very vulnerable and like childish around him. Where he, like he gets put in his place pr- pretty regularly. Well, I have a th- like they. I feel like college is kind of like boot camp for uh, for football players. Like the ones that they're really like, you're gonna go on to the NFL. Like you have to get that started early. Like you listen to me because once you get up there, like I can take away your like you can take away scholarships and stuff like that. You can pe- get people like college kids in trouble and stuff. But once you get to the big leagues, I'm like, I don't know how they wrangle these dudes. How 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 do you get this dude to do what you want? <laughs> this guy's a monster. So yeah, I, it's interesting you bring that up. I hadn't thought about that, like their demeanor, like their the way they communicate. Interesting. Yeah, and actually, the, I'm not sure if this is the time to get into it, but um, there is that conversation between Jim Brown and Al Pacino about the purity of the sport, and it used to be easier, it used to be simpler, and and whatnot. I, that was one of the better moments in the film overall, if you ask me. It's also one of the quieter moments in the film, yeah. which is very rare. Um, but yeah, I mean, LT like needs to be said other than this uh acting performance i mean don't smoke crack crack. (laughs) (laughs) i mean he had like three lines in that whole fucking movie and he knocked that shit out of the park so maybe he's a more talented actor than we all think there's a funny there was a funny bit in 30 rock uh liz lemon wants to get uh she wants to do like the the toys for tots kind of thing but it's for inner city youth and uh, she's like, I have to go down. I'm going to go down to this place, and uh, and I'm going to go talk to these people about this thing. And Tracy Morgan is just like, what's the, where's it located? And she's like, it's on Lawrence Taylor Boulevard. And they're like, no, no, no. Don't, don't go there. <laughs> yeah, didn't I, you have a problem with crashing cars? <laughs> and it, I, didn't, I didn't realize it. I'm like, Lawrence Taylor. I'm like, oh, LT. <laughs> That's a street well, named Lawrence Taylor. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, the only other time I can remember him, uh, he he was in a video game at one point. I know that much. It was like they tried to bring back uh, Blitz. I don't know if you remember that arcade game. Uh-uh. Um, it was a fantastic arcade game. Unfortunately, they made you pay for each quarter of the game. Oh. Um, unfortunately, they kind of had to kill the franchise because the entire concept of the game was unnecessary roughness. <laughs> um, but they tried to revive it at one point, and it was a very, very poor choice. They really shouldn't have done that. But he he uh, he did headline a WrestleMania, uh, so acting like whether it be live theater or not, you know, acting with Bam Bam Bigelow um, is something he's done. So you know. Maybe, maybe, maybe in a different time, in a different place, he he could have been an actor. <laughs> uh, do you want me to give a rundown of the movie real quick? Cause we got a, there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie. Go for it. Okay, so let's see if I can get this and make this as concise as possible. Al Pacino plays uh, Coach Tony, uh, which I think is funny. He's a Miami coach named Tony. Um, he's kind of on the down and out. Like he's got a bit of a drinking problem. He's got a he's got a drinking problem. Uh, He's not. His team just isn't what it was. Uh, his friend and owners passed away, and his daughter has taken over control of the team. They have a lot, quite a bit of friction. Now he has to deal with an injured quarterback and a new, uh, a new third-string quarterback who is just not wanting to play by the rules. So he's trying to wrangle him and also save his career at the same time. Yeah, and uh, merry mishaps ensue. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is basically like the what the last third of a season of football 
that yeah. we get to see. I think they're fifty. Uh, uh, I think they're at fifty right now. I think they're about eight and eight at this point in the season. No, not eight and eight. Uh, it's a little bit. More. It's like mm, five and five, six or six. But they're not doing so hot. But they're not out of the playoffs. Yeah, that's that's the funny thing because the like the general mood of the film is so aggressive and at times like dour that you would ex- it kind of like tricks you into thinking that they suck a lot more than they actually do mm-hmm. like this this movie doesn't let them actually like feel good about many of their victories no. <laughs> but it, it's kind of funny because like by the time we get to the end it's like oh well they they didn't do half bad at all but the entire time it felt like man they're getting their asses kicked every game it's like no actually they won most of those games it's like really like i could barely tell i said like uh the steelers haven't won a super bowl in a long time but mike tomlin's still been head coach he's been head coach for a really long time and i can't remember the last super bowl they won well speaking of coaches uh do you think uh al pacino's character uh tony d'amato is is like based off anyone does he bear any resemblance to any coaches you might know no i i don't really know if he's supposed to be anybody in particular um i love him in this role though i'm not a i'm not a huge al pacino fan uh then again i haven't seen him in his prime i've only seen you know contemporary 90s 2000s al pacino which isn't that great um <laughs> but I, I read on the imdb trivia that he he actually really liked this role because it was like a change of pace and it's actually kind of weird when you start to watch it like al pacino as a coach you're like Huh. All right. Well, let's see how he does. I think he does awesome in this movie. No, I I think he I think he actually fits this role very very well. Um this is actually him a little bit subdued, like a lot of bit subdued actually. Like he's he's not he's not gallivanting about and like dancing and bugging his eyes out all the time. He's he's supposed to be pretty straightforward most of the time. And he's also supposed to be very old-fashioned in this movie. That's um, yeah, but, that but more than that, like a, a thing that seems to pop up in a lot of his his roles is uh, the concept of like obsession, mm-hmm. like like singularly focused characters seem to be something that fascinates him because that seems to pop up in his filmography, like whether it be Heat or or this or what have you. Um, he he fits that role really really well because he he plays a character that actually we get to see him more down than up oh he's down um, like <laughs> yeah uh it's he's like aggressively down throughout this movie <laughs> um, uh, like i said like i the movie kept tricking me into thinking that they the team was suffering a lot more than it actually was mostly because we keep cutting back to him drunk off his ass <laughs> yeah he a couple things i want to say about that one he's got a picture of his family that's much smaller than the picture of his vince lombardi portrait that he has and they're right next to each other i thought that was kind of funny um <laughs> But yeah, this is really good. Al Pacino's great at yelling. Uh, one of the reasons I love the the Birdcage is because Robin Williams isn't being oh uh, like crazy Robin Williams in that movie. He's still funny, but it's not it's not his shtick. And this Al Pacino, it's like I think sometimes they can rely on him being like really loud and him screaming this it fits it fits perfectly you need a guy with this kind of scream to, to get uh, football players where they need to be um but yeah there's interesting about his character i was uh kind of glossing back over it before i before we started recording there's something about getting to a certain stage in your career and being like well i know how to do it like i know i get i'm comfortable basically i'm comfortable in this position and it happens to some people where they just kind of 
fall off a wagon a little bit, where it's like you're just not giving that 100% all the time. And I feel like he's really bogged down by that. Like, dude, after a game like this, you should be like, where where do we go wrong? What happened? I, I understand you got to blow off some steam, but he's getting like piss your pants drunk after each game. Like, that's not okay, man. You're going to forget everything that went wrong. Yeah, uh, one criticism I had for the movie as a whole was that, I mean, surprise, surprise, it's a little unfocused. Mm. Um, this movie is extraordinarily no- noisy. Um, I don't know what the, the cuts per second or cuts per minute ratio is for this film, but it's pretty fucking up there, I'm sure, like up there with like a Michael Bay film or something. <laughs> um, and in that sense, um, I, I would dare say that this is the kind of film that it it's hard to think of it as an actor's film. Like if you were like a hardcore thespian or something, yeah. I could imagine being in a film of this nature would be would be vexing, yeah. <laughs> to say the least, because your performance gets completely chopped to pieces and lost in the shuffle. Um, but what I mean by like what I mean by like the movie being a little cluttered and a little bit noisy is that we have some we have some character arcs and threads that just feel like they're they're there and you certainly acknowledge them like you can't miss them like it's pretty obvious like i said this this editing is is very is very like concrete and over the top with how it presents things so you don't miss a damn thing but you end up having just too much going on to the point that it feels like most of it's inconsequential and with with the coach with D'Amato aka Al Pacino it kind of feels like I don't really know what the messages we're supposed to be getting about his character because he's he's full of contradictions. Like maybe that's the point. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, like like that actually is something that I started turning over in my head as I was finishing the film was that like maybe that is the point. Like that is the story that we're trying to tell here is that amid all of the noise, amid all of the chaos, the team still coalesces when it needs to and res- results. Are achieved but then everything falls apart and comes back together again it's just an endless cycle of that um and it's reflected in in the character somewhat as well though because like in his case we have someone who is drinking way too much and then at one point he gets chatted up by a lady of the night mm-hmm. and he turns her down and then later he takes her up on it <laughs> yeah. and then later he's looking for her and he's just too lazy to get up and go say hi or something so we, we have a lot of that where it's like we don't actually have any like concrete resolutions to any stories. It's just like everybody kind of like tripping over themselves and, and making it to the finish line regardless. Um, maybe that's the that's point. The maybe, yeah, maybe that's the point. I mean, he does have that big speech about it's, it is a game of inches. And, yeah. you know, like it's not going to be pretty. But, you know, if you got there, cool. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I do like how this movie starts off. Like it's like, ooh, nice Vince Lombardi uh, quote, and then bam, straight into the action, just like straight out the gate. Which probably like seeing this in the theater, nineteen ninety nine, be pretty exciting. I was like, oh whoa, this is, this is pretty awesome. And it's in the summertime, probably when this was released. So you're like, oh, I'm ready for football season to come back. <laughs> it's it's so close. August is right around the corner. Uh, Actually, I'm looking at the release calendar. When was and, it? Uh, it was a Christmas movie. Oh, that's <laughs> December actually, twenty December twenty second. That's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. I, I, I mean during the football season, so yeah. you know. But I mean playoffs are happening right around or yeah, playoffs are happening right around then. Hmm. Interesting. We don't have enough football. We need more football. 
Uh, but you 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 learn really quick what's happening here. You've got yeah Dennis Quaid who's injured really fast. Their second their backup comes in who looks like Tony Romo. Uh, he gets hurt immediately too. And then you've got I love how we introduce Willie Beeman. He's eating peanuts and uh, reading the newspaper. Uh, he has no idea what's happening, which is is pretty funny. But you've got Cameron Diaz. You can see that she's the owner. She's up in the box seats with her mom. She's having a panic attack. She's like. You can see how quickly it turns. It's like Cap's injured. It looks like he's going to be out. And she's like, can we get another quarterback? She's already trying to make trades, like trying to get something going. Yeah, uh, she's simultaneously like disloyal to the team and overcommitted to the team. Yeah. It's it's a weird relationship that she has. And they, they do some visual storytelling by like referencing her father, the previous owner of the team. And like, like he has a hand-painted portrait hanging up and the camera actually just like cuts directly to it literally looming over her shoulder like i said this movie has no subtlety whatsoever see your dad Um, do you see it's her dad yeah no they just put the camera right up his nose (laughs) it's like in time with like she says the word dad and it goes like right there um but yeah i want to say uh the Oh, I know for sure. I don't know the guy's name, but he's probably actually connected to the sport, like either through college or the NFL or something. But um, the fella that wakes up Willie Beeman, like pulls him out of his uh, peanuts in his newspaper, um, was uh, like he's he's like a coach's aide or something, like some sort of offensive coordinator. Or he's something. probably the quarterback's coach. Yeah, uh, he he is in uh, the Keanu Reeves film The Replacements I believe ah. um, as one of the opposing coaches um, you haven't seen that one correct? no I haven't seen that one see that I like I said I, I, I don't have much love for the sport of football but I do love sports dramas the, as a film genre and that's a fun one I, oh. I enjoy that one it's silly but I like it you were right about that one aide that he is from the Super Mario Brothers that is him. Yes. Yeah. I call. know faces and shit. <laughs> Give I, me a promotion. <laughs> I think Aaron Eckhart. Eric Aaron Eckhart is the offensive coordinator, and he's up, you know, up in the booth uh, doing his thing. But I think he's fairly new, which is why they have a, an exchange later. He's like, "Listen, I'm not going to waste another season under Tony." It's like, I think he's newer to the program, but like he's capable of more. And there's something interesting about Willie Beeman's style. Um, and I'm not sure how popular this was back then. I think Michael Vick kind of made it popular where typically quarterbacks just st- stay in the pocket. They wouldn't really pick up yards. And this might have been the first time it was like, oh, whoa, he's like, he's taking off running. It, that's the way the league is moving to now. There's actually very few quarterbacks in the league that aren't taking off and running. Like Ben Roethlisberger and um, Tom Brady, like if you see them take off running, it's goofy to see. <laughs> These guys are like 6'4", 6'5" running like they're not good at that but that's kind of the way the league's going now yeah yeah even i know that much and i certainly remember when michael michael vick was making all sorts of waves doing that um as the scrambling quarterback Mm -hmm. um and of course we have one of those here in seattle yeah Uh, he's kind of the prototype i guess yeah possibly one of the greatest scrambling quarterbacks he's excellent yeah he's he's got some skeletons in his closet he has to (laughs) and that's what i always say (laughs) He he killed a guy. He like, did. He, <laughs> There's no he killed, way. Like, He's, he killed a whole bus full of kids or something. You can't be that that talented, that upbeat, positive, that much of a good guy, and that good looking, 
is that successful without at least killing one hooker? Like, there's got to be no, something. No, I've been saying it for a while. Yeah, that guy, he has killed a man. I'm sure <laughs> like, Russ is fine. Just joking. But, no. Nobody's that good is what I'm saying. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. Even if they're on my team. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Aaron, a very young uh, Aaron Eckhart is in this. Uh, this is probably around the time he was uh, – I think he, he was on an episode of Frasier I saw in the late 90s. So. <laughs> Aaron Eckhart, I th- he had just a small – like almost like new metal. His his career was kind of like new metal where it popped up in 1998, 1999, and then by the time 2008 comes around, you're just like, ugh, I don't even, I don't even want this anymore because it was short-lived. Yeah, it, it – it's kind of funny because like his his role in the dark knight i feel like kind of symbolizes him as an actor where it's like he you want him to do well because he just he looks perfect for the role but apparently just he doesn't resonate with audiences or something it was i don't have a problem with the guy's performances like he he's a fine actor he's just not magnetic in any way it was him screaming rachel because it's the funniest thing (laughs) 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 i think that was his that was his uh his thing I'm just like I like it ruined his career. Him screaming that was, like, we his, don't... That was his uh, Howard Dean scream. Yeah, like we uh, we need him to yell. Not Aaron Eckhart. Uh, <laughs> but he has that butt chin. He's got he's got the perfect cleft chin. He but... would have been a good Don Draper. He would have been. I think I think uh, John Hamm is you know Don Draper. But I think Aaron Eckhart might not have been too bad. In, in a different world, maybe in Bizarro world. In Bizarro world, like Don Draper was played by Aaron Eckhart. Yeah. But yeah, he's like like you said. He I think he was uh, I think he was like obtained from from a different team. Mm-hmm. Um, and he probably had a high price tag because Cameron Diaz is kind of like all about yeah. him. Yeah. Um, and he's like the new scientific offensive coordinator, and we have a little bit of like a, a conflict between him and Al Pacino because one guy's very old school and one guy's very new school. Um, and <laughs> I love that scene at the party. Um, but there's two things I love about that party scene. Uh, no, three maybe, but um, two that I'll point out is uh, when Aaron Eckhart has that moment with Cameron Diaz where he's like, like, I'm wasting my time here. Like, like you, you have me up in the booth supposed to be calling these plays and the, you know, nobody's, nobody's utilizing my talent. He like forgets to act for a good solid 10 seconds. Cause he finishes his line and he's just like, he's just staring. Yeah. He's just standing there. <laughs> and then like, she's like, okay, you're done. Now it's my turn. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a good thing there's a lot of people dancing in the background. Otherwise, people would probably notice that. But the other moment that I, I have to highlight, and as soon as we're done recording here, Kyle, I am going to do a screen capture of my own computer monitor to obtain this footage. It's Matthew Modine bobbing his head mm-hmm. like d- yeah. at the party. <laughs> you need to make a gift, dude. You need to make a gift. I'm that. making a gift of Matthew Modine dancing. <laughs> it's pretty great. I know exactly it's, what It's so fucking bad. They cut, like, in a movie that is, like, five cuts per second, they hold on that for, like, two seconds. Uh, is this uh, the... Like so, we're we're still at that. Uh, we're at that first game. Uh, uh, Dennis Quaid's hurt. Is James? Is this the scummiest James Woods you've seen? Because I think this might actually be the biggest scumbag he's played. Cause it he's might a, be because he's a doctor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he went to medical yeah. school. Yeah, this movie has uh, a lot of like reunions of uh, 
of Oliver Stone regulars. Mm-hmm. Um, James Woods is not a regular, but he was in a film of his early in his filmography <sighs> called Salvador. Salvador, yes, there we go. Yeah, um, and yeah, uh, this might be the scummiest James Woods I know of. I'm sure he's done scummier. Uh, I mean, the man has no limits, <laughs> but this is very much him in his element. Um, he gets lots of cutaway shots of him flirting with cheerleaders and whatnot. Um, and he sells the fuck out of this role. He's <laughs> like He really is the dirtiest, most underhanded sports doctor you can imagine. Uh, and he doesn't occupy a whole lot of screen time, which is, which is a good thing given that this cast is already overflowing. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I will throw out there, and this is probably the only bit of trivia I have about this film because I didn't do much research, if any at all, um, is that part of the screenplay was apparently uh, taken from a book uh, called You're Okay, It's Just a Bruise, colon, a doctor's sideline, um, which suggests that the relationship between him and Matthew Modine, or at least one of these characters, um, was probably taken directly from the text of that book. Um, so it, it, in a different draft of the script, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe more screen time was devoted to them. Because um, you easily could have made one of them the central characters of the story, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, much like Platoon, uh, this film, Any Given Sunday, is, I guess, what I'd like to call like um, every football story ever. Basically, um, it's kind of it's kind of like that thing you do, where it's the story of a fictional band, but over the course of this two-hour film, we're going to have this band basically do everything that a band of that era could possibly do or has done in in actual reality. And the story with Platoon was always that. Everything that happened in this movie happened to a platoon, but not a single platoon in the Vietnam in the entirety of the Vietnam War. So this is like uh, the Cliff's Notes of the Vietnam War, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and any given Sunday may as well be like every football story ever, every contemporary football yeah. story ever, basically, um, but without the NFL license. Yeah, so uh, Willie gets out on the field. He pukes. Yeah, that'll come up. And I like how he's just disoriented when he gets out there. It's just like you've got the crowd screaming. You've got your offensive coordinator talking to you. You've got people in the huddle wondering what's happening. And uh, they end up not winning this one. But he does He does like a cool move here. Like he, he, he does something kind of lets them know like, yeah, he's capable. He just he needs some work right now, which is kind of positive. You know, it's, it's good for them. But that's going to be a problem moving forward. Uh, yeah uh go ahead i wanted to ask you about john c mcginley um i love john c mcginley uh i think he's awesome on scrubs he's a lot of fun i realize that's not a show you can binge watch that's a show that was meant to be seen weekly like just once a week because john c mcginley is kind of obnoxious as dr cox and if you're just watching dr cox after it's like oh my god would you just stop for a minute (laughs) just stop but he always plays such a like a flamboyant character like Remember him in like platoons like nah 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 like he's just like nah you guys are going out nah, not them like the way he acts and I think he's supposed to be making fun of Jim Rome. Do you know who Jim Rome is? I do, yeah. and I think you're exactly right. Because <laughs> Jim Rome wasn't Jim Rome's just kind of a short little asshole. Like nobody liked him, and he was really critical of everybody. But I think John C. McGinley's like he's being more flamboyant. I think they're making fun of Jim Rome here. I think that's kind of like they're jabbing at him a bit. 
I mean, based on the like the set and the style of interview he gives um, later on with with Willie Beeman, uh, yeah, I, I want to say you're correct. His demeanor isn't like that of Jim Rome, no. though. Like Jim Rome was more like mm, aggressive and inflammatory. Like he he would intentionally come at people and try yes. to piss them off. And I seem to recall a couple of instances where people yes. hopped the table yep. on him. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that doesn't that doesn't happen here exactly, but. Um, yeah, he does have a penchant for playing kind of over-the-top characters. Um, at one point, I was kind of curious about him as a person, like like what his personal background was, because uh, because I noticed like his characters tend to be very very colorful and very very over the top. And um, at one point, I was actually curious if he had military background or something, because for whatever reason, he ends up doing a lot of those kinds of roles as well. He really stands out in Seven. Uh, you forget that he's in there, but when they go to invade the one house, it's like, oh, shit, that's John C. McGinley. Like, he's fucking running the ship, dude. Listen to him. Like, Yeah, I wouldn't no, be surprised. I mean, the, the man has a huge list of credits. For fuck's sake, the guy's in The Rock. Oh, he's yeah. in On Deadly Ground. Um, he's also very strange in Highlander 2. Like, nobody told him how to, how to do his job in Highlander 2 because he's all over the place. On Deadly Ground, he... He has a scene where he tries to intimidate an old man by spelling the word team. (laughs) (laughs) There is no I in team. It's like, uh, sure, that's scary. Um, And actually, one of the earliest roles I remember seeing him in when I was a very young child was uh, Wagons East, um, where he plays a very flamboyantly gay, like, uh, mm-hmm. book salesman in the my, in the wild west my brother told me about that and i saw the clips from it uh i'm like ah oh, weird he's in nothing to lose and he's fucking terrifying it's i mean that's a comedy but like he's the bad guy in that movie and it, he's really great he's really funny in there <laughs> he, he, he's doing well, it all <laughs> well i mean the man has been all over the map with his filmography but i he of course was in platoon and wall street for that matter so Mm -hmm. apparently he and oliver stone get along just fine and uh, his contribution to this film much like james woods is small like it's negligible in terms of screen time but he makes an impact and he he knows exactly what he's supposed to be doing with that limited screen time um and i really appreciate him being here actually like the first time we see him in the movie it's just like oliver stone by the way is the announcer for the the tele like the television broadcasts of of all the football games in this movie um he does that like he shows up in small roles in his movies um but yeah if i remember right the first time we see john c mcginley is just uh oliver stone is like referencing what's going on in the game and we just cut to him it's not even like at the venue he's just like typing away on a on a well, he's primitive laptop he's, oh, a, he is? he's in the press box yeah okay well he's just shit talking and typing up an article um mm-hmm while while the game is going on and you know as soon as you see him you're like hey i know him <laughs> I forgot he's the he's the fbi guy in a uh, point break the one that, yeah, yeah that's like that's why i was curious about what his personal background is because he's played a lot of soldiers and a lot of cops in his career nothing maybe the, it's just because he got big arms or something i don't know <laughs> he's got a good yeah like he's got a he looks like a drill instructor he's got like just beefcake arms and then he's got an intense he has an intensity about him like I could see this dude pushing booters. It, he looks like it. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't even there to be a character in The Rock. He was just there probably because he knew how to hold a rifle and was on the set of Platoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and that movie also like probably holds some sort of record for like 
maybe one of one of the very few action movie classics wherein virtually every goon in the movie is recognizable to some degree like that that's a hard trick to pull off where it's like damn i know him i know him i know him i seen him killed by arnold <laughs> it's like that's the fucking candy man <laughs> yeah um so yeah, but we're, uh, they end up losing the game, but there's just this endless cycle, and I think Cameron Diaz does a good job in this movie, of being just just infuriating, because she has one speed, and that's 110 <laughs> when it comes to him. Like, as soon as he walks in the door, like, the next day, she's like, can I get you an Alka-Seltzer? He's like, no, I have four already. And she's like, look at this shit! Like, immediately, just start, like, you know he's hung over, and she's just whipping his nuts with a car antenna. <laughs> metaphorically <laughs> metaphorically <laughs> yeah um actually i think it's kind of funny that like as serious as this movie is and it is very serious for the most part like in terms of plot it bears a strong resemblance to a major league actually all that's what like, we should have done was major league I considered it actually because I do like those movies. Like I like Major League. Mr. Baseball is fun too. I like baseball movies. Like I've said that before on the podcast. I like baseball movies, and I did see a lot of them when I was a kid. It's just, the game itself is just not something I know a whole lot about. But but yeah, I mean Major League. The plot is like, oh, they're going to be selling the team, and we have you know that evil woman who's running the team. It's you know it's kind of similar, yeah. but but yeah, the scenes between um, him and he and her kind of reminded me of Heat a little bit, where like Al Pacino just gets back from like handling a dead body or something, and his wife's yelling at him, "The damn chicken!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but there's there's tension on and off the field. Like there's tension behind the scenes. There's friction with the coaching staff. Uh, I think this is where we do that. This game is where Jim Brown's like, "I need you to get the pressure." I'm like, "I'm on it, coach." He's like, "I'm not." He's like, "Getting onto him." I'm on it. Like, calm down, dude. You're gonna give yourself a stroke. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so they, they have their meeting, and I, I think they're deciding what they're going to do with uh, Dennis Quaid. Uh, he's pretty much just going to have to sit out for a few weeks, but he's in a lot of pain. Uh, I do like his little moment. He's just like, you got to tell him to give me more painkillers. I'm a football player. I need more stuff. I'm like, eh, I think you've probably built up a tolerance. Uh, <laughs> pretty sure that's why you, you need more. Yeah, I like the phrasing. He says, I'm a damn football player. I need to pump up the volume. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not because like, oh. you're big. It's because you're already on painkillers. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that is kind of fascinating about this movie that Kyle talked about at the top of the recording was that like this movie is a little bit ahead of its time like tackling the idea of like ethics in sports medicine and whatnot because uh, Mr. Brynjarski... Um, during one of the games i yeah, he's hooked up to multiple ivs and yeah. he ends up almost shitting his pants oh, that's great. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah he we have the enti- kick, he kicks the kicker <laughs> off the toilet so he can go to the bath and then the two hey, guys man. are stuck in the toilet with him <laughs> yeah poor matt modine <laughs> he has to hold an iv bag for this <laughs> like this monster pull pipes pull pipes <laughs> <laughs> It's really I mean, good. I'm surprised he could fit through the fucking door. I, I don't think he can fit. I didn't think he could fit through it. Yeah, I mean, I was half expecting them to have to just, like, knock down one of the walls or something. Because <laughs> he still had his pads on and shit. But um, during that sequence, though, like, before he his colon explodes, um, <laughs> he's actually asking Matt Modine for 
a variety of drugs and he knows them all by their clinical names yeah. <laughs> like he has like by their generic medical names and whatnot um and there's a lot of that in like in the periphery of this film it's not it's not the focus whatsoever um but it's certainly there and that and uh, of course head trauma and things of that nature uh, come up with LT's character in particular. Yeah, we're introduced to that almost immediately. As soon as he, he goes for a hit and he comes up kind of woozy. Um, if you were to look at the way hits were hits were made back in like 1998-99 and look now, it's two different leagues. Uh, you watch like old clips from the 70s or 80s, you see people get hit and you're like, holy shit, how is that not a flag? They're like, that's a good hit. I'm like, you almost killed him. Now, yeah, you see hits like like some of these, you're like, oh my gosh. How, how, I don't know how they played so rough before. Um, but yeah, that's that's the league he grew up in. It was a crazy one. God even knows what happened to Jim Brown, that poor guy. <laughs> There's a reason that man is made of solid stone. Yeah. <laughs> like inside hard. and out. Also, and that is That is a hard man. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and Margaret, I think she's going to be a part of that club too of uh, 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 lady actresses from back in the day. She she will probably outlive the both of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, we introduced to the escort uh, the after that game. Uh, Elizabeth Berkeley, remember her? <laughs> oh, poor Elizabeth Berkeley. Yeah. That uh, yeah. Did showgir- <laughs> had showgirls come out at that point? Yes. Oh. Um, sh- that that's probably why she has a small role in this film and probably not many other films of this era um because showgirls sank a lot of ships um hers probably most <laughs> i think most like hers. she wasn't a prominent star but she, you know her her name is on the marquee it was a big leading role for her and it was you know a lot of a lot of money and hype tossed at a project that didn't really do her any favors at that point in her career yeah yeah uh, so what we got going on? Because it's kind of a blur now. Because it's a football movie. Because they just keep playing football. <laughs> they just they keep playing football, and uh, the movie ends. Well, I mean, the the main thread here is that Willie Beeman, because Dennis Quaid is out of commission, essentially, uh, Willie is being promoted to like starting quarterback, essentially. Yeah. Um, it's it's uncertain for like five minutes. Uh, especially because you know they did lose that game um and the entire organization is kind of in flux like Cameron Diaz is kind of like whispering like in the wings about you know things to be done with the team and there's a dispute between her and Al Pacino um but basically Jamie Foxx's character rises to the task eventually Mm -hmm. like we do get we do get another game and we get to see the whole thing play out, and he gets to have a couple of like miraculous moments on the field, um, including like scoring a running touchdown um, after you know taking a spectacular hit. Also, <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically, like this is this is where it actually becomes like debatable who the main character of the story is. Because honestly, I, Al Pacino probably is the main character, but we we have we have so many characters that have a little bit of screen time sprinkled here and there that all have their own little stories that I think it's just the story of the team is how you're supposed to approach it. Um, but Jamie Foxx, uh, needs to be said very, very young in his, in his film acting career. Mm-hmm. Of course he was on TV, I think in living color. Um, he was certainly a, a part of that cast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and he, he was doing some comedy films here and there, but 
Um, as far as like serious film work, this was like pre Michael Mann, Jamie Foxx. So he was a little bit of like a unproven element at this point, <clears throat> but I thought he did just fine. Like he, he feels very comfortable in the role for the most part. I mean, it's, I think it's a split between him and Al Pacino. They just have two entirely different battles. Uh, the thing with uh, Willie Be- Steaming Willie Beeman is he he gets put in and then they put the backup back in. He's just not doing so well, so they put Willie back in. He has a great game, and basically Cameron Diaz is just like you. I want I'm gonna have you starting basically. This is what's gonna be happening moving forward. Uh, he ends up breaking up with his girlfriend because he's trying to study the playbook, but he was also bumping up on uh, on some girls. He, yeah. He- let's let's pause on that conversation yeah. for a second because i like i kind of laughed at it a little bit but you're not supposed to it's just this this movie is the accelerator is hammered all the way down with this movie nothing in this film happens slowly um so basically they get back from the party and like he's just like putting ice on his arm and reviewing plays because he just found out he's the new starting quarterback for for the Miami team and stuff and she's just like starts yelling at him about like schmoozing with the mayor and like you know rubbing up on women and stuff at this big party that they just came back from and like he comes back screaming at her about like you come at me with this now <laughs> like and then it just keeps escalating to the point that he opens up a bag of chips uh, <laughs> and tells her to get her ass out of the apartment i do th- i don't tell I don't tell her to get her ass out of the apartment, but this is what, when I'm starting to get yelled at, I'm just like, ah, I kind of, I'll move away. I, I got to get away from this. I got to do something and just kind of piddle. So I, I knew what he was doing. Like, I know what he's doing. He's getting chips. He's trying to, he's, he's keeping, he's keeping his calm. I understand. Well, but if he, he's putting things in his mouth, he can't say the things he shouldn't. Uh, I don't know how you come back from this. Like if I was to tell my girlfriend what he says to his girlfriend, I'm like, dude, you can't, you can't come back from that. That's not cool. Don't let your success go to your head. My success could you hit, bitch. <laughs> Jesus, dude. He's uh, like telling her she needs to go hang out with educated people. Yeah. <laughs> like, get your fat ass out of my apartment. I'm God like, damn. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I understand why he would. you could get frustrated. Like, it's like, he messed up. But, yeah, uh, you, you had this one coming, buddy. Like, I understand that you're stressed out, but you probably shouldn't have done that. Well, I mean, there is such a thing. It's just like perpetual motion. We're just like... In, in the heat of an argument or something, just stuff gets thrown out there. It's not anything anyone actually means. It's just it's stuff that's there that, that it's, you know, it's call and response kind of. But, like, at first I was thinking this was going to be a situation where he was almost intentionally just using his excuse to get rid of her or something. No. because Because he was, like, seeing that, oh, I'm, I'm on the verge of, you know, massive success. Like, I have options. But, no, it, like like you said, somehow somehow they come back from that and they like rekindle the flame yeah uh sure <laughs> i don't think i don't think any woman that i've ever been with would would at all be be willing no. to you know tolerate that after something like that and the way the football wives treat her is so shitty uh so, uh, lauren holly is the second biggest piece of shit in this movie uh <laughs> <laughs> uh she plays uh cap's wife dennis quaid um uh, Willie and his girlfriend come to this party, this mayor's party. I think it's the same place that uh, Udo Kier was hosting in Ace Ventura. I think it's the same house. <laughs> also, uh, the house that Cap is in is Dan Marino's house. Um, and it was his house at the time. Um, but yeah, they, she comes to meet all these football wives, and 
she just gets the cold shoulder. She's like being very friendly, but I think Lauren Holly, I think she knows what's up. It's like, yeah, your your husband's on the out, and she's just being a dick. Could, oh, maybe so mad. Yeah, no, she is the second biggest piece of shit. Is James Woods number one? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's not a contest if he's showing up. Yeah, he usually <laughs> is. <laughs> I think, it's like he's not even in the film. He was just on set for a day or something, visiting a nephew or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that sequence was, it, you know, you feel bad for her because she, she comes across as like, you know, very innocent and stuff. And she, there's literally a circle of other, you know, women more glamorously dressed up than her that she can't even get a word in. Um, and they're entirely dismissive of her, but yeah, the mayor's there and everybody's schmoozing and stuff. This is where Matthew Modine has his brilliant head bobbing, head bobbing. dance move here. He is he's feeling it, man. I'm yeah. I gotta track that down. Um I I'll have to find the time code and make a gif out of it. But um the mayor is here and like he wants to he wants to like latch on to Willie because A, it's a black quarterback in a, you know, predominantly white quarterbacked sport. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that's something that we can use to promote the town and whatnot. But um, we go from there to more football and whatnot. Um, needs to be said, there is a lot of fucking football in this movie. Unlike Vision Quest, where we have a little bit of wrestling and mostly drama, this movie is mostly football and a little bit of drama. And one thing I wanted to point out that um, this is just me theorizing. Um, and it, if I'm right, I think it's kind of cool, actually, uh, <laughs> from on a conceptual level, is uh, the construction of like the, the edit of this film actually kind of reminds me of watching football um, where there's a rhythm to a football broadcast where football is like tailor-made for television in fact it's it's one of those sports where the rule set actually has been adjusted for television like the flow of the game and uh, the use of camera footage to you know challenge plays and stuff you couldn't have done that without the aid of you know the technicals involved in tech in a television broadcast and whatnot um but the rhythm of how a football game plays out is everything's conducted in plays. So it's very, it's like 10 second, five second burst of action. And then we have to organize the next play. We have to set up the lines again and then break and then, then more action. And this movie has that kind of rhythm where it's like, you know, there's piddle about, have a little bit of dialogue. And it's just like, Oh my God, (laughs) it's just like action and noise but then it relaxes and it kind of has that like spastic like back and forth whiplash effect um and in fact like part of what it reinforces my theory is that there's that scene towards the end of the movie where Cameron Diaz is talking to her mother and the game clock is actually superimposed on top of the footage of her talking to her mm-hmm. mom and it's like ticking down it, it's it serves a dual purpose it's it's there to remind us that yes like even though we're cutting to this mother daughter moment the game the game <laughs> like the, the core drama of the story is still going on in real time but on top of that it also has the dual purpose of showing that she's drawn back a little bit she doesn't have to be obsessed with the game she can not watch every second of it um but do, do you have any sense of what i'm getting at here yeah i i, I get what you're saying um that moment I took is more like this should be like the most intense part of the movie for her. Like this is this is the game. Like this is the one, and she's kind of having the realization that maybe she well, she knows she's in trouble. So I think that's kind of what she's doing. But it's like she's kind of realizing at that moment 
this is happening, but this is more important. And maybe football isn't that important to her. Uh, that what was uh, her advisor even said? She's like, you don't even like football, and she's like, shut up, like don't don't worry about that. Shut up, Richard. Yeah, she's like, it's none of your fucking business. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, I thought it was interesting. I I haven't put this movie under magnifying glass, so I I wouldn't assume it's valid, but it's just a thought. But um, yeah, we we have another game that we win here, and like the most significant thing that comes of it is that. Uh, Willie does really well, and uh, one thing that's important to keep in mind with the way he conducts his game, his games rather, is uh, he does what he feels like. Like he yeah. invents plays on the spot. And uh, LL Cool J, who is in this film, by the way, and does a pretty good job in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, he objects to the way things are carried out. And they actually had a lot of on. They had uh, bad on uh, onset chemistry. They, I guess they he took his role pretty seriously. LL Cool J, because there was supposed to be friction between the two of them. I guess they got in, during that scene where they get into a fight. He accidentally hit Jamie Fox. This was on IMDb, I, and I've heard this before too. Like they they didn't get along, but they've got they've they made amends. They get along now. Um, but yeah, so Willie, what he's doing is instead of just like calling audibles and reading the defense and like changing changing the play at the line of scrimmage, which is fine, you're allowed to do that. But the problem is, is he's changing plays in the huddle. So the, what he's telling the guys, they're just assuming coach is telling them like that's not what I told him to do. And it's winning games, but that's there's kind of a problem. Um, and he doesn't see that. This is the the main point is that he doesn't see the problem, and he realizes that he's kind of on the down. Like as like as far as his career is concerned, he's like I've got maybe ten years, eight years left, maybe. Like I'm gonna try to do the best I can now to get my price tag up, so maybe I can go be a part of a franchise for five years. Like actually do something, and I mean. And coming from like th- that scene with him, like when the Ben Hur's on in the background, he has that that, that meeting with him. It's really good because you can really see both sides. You can understand why Al Pacino's uh, upset. It's like, listen, we have guys that work on these plays. This is their job. This is what they get paid for, and we know how the pieces work. This is what we want you to do, and you're sp- basically spitting on them when you just decide not to do that. You can't do that. And he's like, fuck that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it it's an interesting debate, and it's one that there is no clear-cut answer to and that's what makes it compelling and in fact these are still conversations that are happening regularly today where it's the it's the difference of perspective of the of the person who's trying to conduct the orchestra and the person who's actually in said orchestra and having to carry out the task radically different perspectives well apparently bruce arians i heard this when i was was watching the game uh or i don't know where i read this but i guess bruce arians said he's uh, head coach of the Bucks right now. He's the one with, uh, coaching Tom Brady. He's like, yeah, I don't really coach Tom. He's like, I kind of let him do what he wants. Like, he doesn't I – mean, he's been playing for so long. What are you going to tell him that he doesn't already know how to do? Yeah. No, I mean, I, there was a – he's still alive, but uh, there was a boxer, uh, Bernard Hopkins. Um, B-Hop. Uh, personal favorite of mine, not because he was a good person or anything, just <laughs> – he was very fun to watch for all the weird reasons. Was he a cigarette um, smoking boxer? No. Okay. That, that was uh, that was probably James Tony. Okay. Uh, he was a cigar man, and his uh, training methods consisted of hitting a speed bag while smoking a cigar and yelling his own name, <laughs> James Tony, James Tony, <laughs> and yelling at other people who were sparring in the ring. Jeez. Um, but B Hop uh, lived a very clean life. He went to prison early in life, but uh, he 
carried he carried on fighting up until i think he was 50 oh wow uh, yeah um he he turned his back on his dead mother he told her she he would stop fighting at 40 and he carried on well after that uh, mostly successfully by the way interesting um but i remember watching his training sessions when he was in his 40s and stuff and it was just him and uh his trainer a uh, brother nazim uh and it was just like two old guys having a conversation <laughs> like there was no training it was just like running drills and no direction whatsoever it's just like i think i'm done it's like yeah okay i'll see you tomorrow <laughs> it's like what are you gonna tell a you know a 45 year old athlete that's been doing it for decades stick and move yeah i know <laughs> hit the one in the middle <laughs> i see tree of them out there and um, for his face <laughs> well i mean now now you're getting into frank Mir commentary he hit that man with a right-handed punch <laughs> it's like wonderful Great insight. The so they're on. So we have like this interview that's starting with John C. McGinley, Jim Rome, basically, uh, and we have. We I didn't notice. I just noticed that this last time watching it, we're cutting through games. Like so, whatever Willie's doing, it's working. So he might be working with the coaching staff a little bit, but he's also changing the plays occasionally. But I don't think it's as blatant as it goes forward. And I think it was kind of out of necessity at first because he just wasn't familiar with the playbook when they threw him in. So he's just like changing the play. It makes sense. Like just that's how I read it. But this uh, this interview lasts for like ten minutes, but it's like split up throughout the movie. Like we have them winning some games, and then we have him uh, going to meet coach. And this uh, hi- him in this interview is just fucking. It's great. Uh, we had him with his uh, metrics, his uh, his esteem and Willie Beeman. <laughs> uh, that might be one of my favorite parts of the movie is that music video. Um, yeah, um, I don't know how they somehow gave him his own theme song. Like, oh, this was popular. With, this was something that was happening back then. Uh, no, 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 no. My 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 objection is the schedule. Like this is this is in the midst of a football season. Who who wrote the song and who produced the song in a week? Easy. You get some dude. You get uh, Pharrell to write it. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not kidding. Uh, he's actually uh, credited on this. He he produced one of the songs on here. Uh, yeah, you get Pharrell wow. to write it. Yeah, uh, you should look at the soundtrack. There's a lot of stuff going on in the soundtrack. Actually, I, I I briefly glanced at it because um I remember watching portions of the film and saying that sounds like some Moby shit. It and is. Then, sure enough, it is. sure enough, at the at the end credits, additional music by yeah Moby. Oh, this is uh, one of the <laughs> most '90s soundtracks you're ever going to hear. Yeah, we cover many different shades of the 90s oh, as yeah. well. We get a little bit of world flavor. Of course, we get quite a bit of hip-hop as well. We get some jock jams. Oh, there's um, jock some jams. Anti- some dun, antiquated dun, 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 jock dun, 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 dun. jams. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Woo! I think I heard it. I think Enigma was even in there at one point. Uh, I, uh, that that particular woo sample is is precious. Yeah. It pops up in so many places. I think I've heard that in Genesis games. <laughs> <laughs> that particular woo always reminds me of being a kid. But yeah, so Will, Willie's on the up. He's he's doing really well. But we've got friction with. Will it be man? I keep the fans <laughs> screaming. Yeah, uh, <laughs> dude, I think Deion Sanders had a, did a song with MC Hammer, I think. I think you might have been telling me about that. We- uh, the Street Fighter soundtrack apparently has, yeah. I think, Deion Sanders on it. Um, Reggie also, Miller? Yeah. needs to be pointed out, uh, Roy Jones Jr., uh, a few years after this film. Uh, I think it was 2002. Uh, y'all must have forgot. 
that that like that i can't speak to that album but that song is is solid i mean it's nothing but chorus that's all that's all you need it's just, it's just a cool phrase that you say over and over and over again for four minutes uh i, I think jamie like i said like the casting for this was just excellent i think jamie fox is really good at being aggravating like he can really get under your skin Jamie Foxx is a terrifying person. Like he he's killed a guy. <laughs> like speaking of people who have killed people, Jamie Foxx has killed a person because in interviews that man is an enigma. Yeah. Like that he is a sphinx. Just good fucking luck figuring out what's going on in his head because he is so self-serious and just like Terrence he, he has like he has predator eyes. <laughs> like, yeah, have you heard him talk about Terrence Howard? I have not. Oh, I'll have to send you the video. It's so funny. He, he makes fun of Terrence Howard really bad. <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, well, that's the thing that's so disarming about him is because he can vacillate back and forth between being like this really like toned down, really self serious person to just being this like like wild comedian that he's a he's a master mimic. Like he's he has a particular talent for mimicking people. Um, and there's a reason why he does like a lot of biopics or at least he did anyways because he really does have a remarkable talent for just like slipping into the skin of another person but very interesting guy like yeah. like i don't get him but he when he's on when he's on film the product's usually great yeah. i think he's i think he's really funny and i i like that for him more i prefer him to be in funny roles uh, i don't really care for his serious stuff but this is a good serious thing but this interview man john c mcginley uh he's kind of his character's kind of on at this point, if you know what I mean. It's like when he's up in the booth, he's just, you know, being a journalist, but usually he's just kind of watching. He's like chomping on a cigar. But when he, when the camera's on, he's way more flamboyant, like just way more out there. And this is an awkward interview. Uh, he is just talking out of his ass, and it is embarrassing. But, like, I think the best is the invisible juice thing. They ain't going to see me. They ain't going to hear me. Just the way he looks, I'm like, oh, my gosh. They hate you so much on that team. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of a. Uh, I think it's the end credits of a. Was it Exit Wounds, the Steven Seagal film? I didn't see that uh, one. That DMX. So Tom, Tom Arnold and Anthony Anderson have roles in that film. Ooh, that sounds like fun. And and the end credits of the movie is just, just like them riffing just sitting t- sitting next to each other just saying shit and right. is absolutely uproariously hilarious i bet um and i want to say that you know parts of this interview were probably just improvised because you know anybody who's seen this kind of sports interview knows the kind of things that get said and he says all of them mm-hmm. <laughs> like all of them <laughs> like put it this way willie beeman if he existed in 2020 would be a flat earther he would be talking about crystals and flat earth yeah Yeah, he's really talking out of his ass and he would have the exact same expression same delivery i like al pacino the the interviews on the background he just kind of looks at and just like he walks away and just kind of looks back like jesus well at one point he turns it off and elizabeth (laughs) berkeley's like naked in bed and he's like we'll turn him back on he's like fine Uh, but yeah, so the other thing was like LL Cool J's character because he's changing the plays. Now you're making him upset because he's like, I've got endorsements. He's like, and I have to get a certain amount of, uh, I have to get a certain amount of touches. Otherwise, I lose. I'm not sure how, how true this is. Like you have to get a certain amount of touches or a certain amount of catches to keep your endorsements. But maybe I don't. I don't really think that's a thing. Yeah, that that seems a little. 
I don't know that that's a little micromanaged. Like, like I don't think that you know a big company offering endorsements has somebody watching the games and like checking like every time he touches the ball or touches touches the person with the ball. But um, LT is also ha- having a similar struggle where he's he, he, is he going for just straight up tackles or or blocks? I think he has to get uh, a certain amount of tackles to get his bonus. Yeah, he wants his million dollar bonus, which and that's hit. That's his struggle because from minute one, we're told that he has some serious health problems that are lingering. That uh, the medical staff are debating whether to share with him. Yeah, apparently, uh, I, I want to touch on the bonus real quick. It's like, that's not that much of a bonus for a player like this. Like, he's a veteran. Like, he should have a really good contract. If his bonus should be like th- at least three million dollars. I'm like a million dollars. That's it, dude. You're in Tony Montana's house. You need more than a million dollars for a bonus, man. How are you paying the property taxes on that thing? It's ridiculous. But yeah, um, I guess we can move into Shark. Um, I, I I think Lawrence Taylor's awesome. We we mentioned that uh, earlier. That th- this is a really good scene. But apparently Matthew Modine has figured out that James Woods has covered up a very serious injury. Uh, I guess he he said his neck broke and it didn't heal properly, so it's like at any like the wrong hit could kill him basically. So it, that kind of puts coach in a tough spot. Like you can just tell he's just like fuck, like seriously? <laughs> could it he's be He's also very 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 hungover. hungover. Yeah. <laughs> How's he getting anything done? But yeah, they have an interesting conversation here where LT basically laughs at it, where he's just like, "Dude, I I know what I signed up for. I want my fucking bonus, and I can't get it if I don't play." Um, so he signs a waiver, and he he is allowed to continue playing. Matthew Modine's obviously like, "Well, I didn't see that coming," <laughs> but um, because it needs to be set up to this point in the film, he's been kind of having to deal with uh, James Woods like gatekeeping all of his all of his medical calls. Because I believe he's like, I think he's actually of relations to to James Woods. He's like his nephew or something. I th- yeah, I thought maybe son-in-law or nephew. Yeah, there's there's uh, yeah something along those lines. But point is, James Woods calls all the shots, and Matt Modine is basically just there to help help the giant Polish man take a shit. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, in between all of this. Uh, LT gets a cool moment where he gets to cut a vehicle in half with yes. tools he just happened to have on hand. I, I love the little glimpses. <laughs> I, I think uh, this is why I wanted to bring up Madman again. Andrew, uh, the, the Polish guy, Madman. Brynjarski. Brynjarski. He's Madman in this movie. Zangief. <laughs> they have him leaving the stadium, and he, like, a lady just kind of jumps upon him with blonde hair. And then we have him at home with not his wife. That's not his wife who ever met him at the stadium. He's got... Two giant dogs in a playpen. It's just absolute chaos in his house. I really enjoyed that that little scene. But then we get to LT's party. Now everybody has seen this interview with Steam and Willie Beam, and like you were saying, like yeah, they're all just they're all quietly like we're not being gonna, cordial. Yeah, but there's tension. We, we've got some things on our mind, and they definitely come up here. Um, I do, I do like the uh, the groupy aspect of this. Uh, they kind of sprinkled that in here. They're mean. <laughs> they're, they're like super mean to each other. Got her batch. Got her batch. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of that going on in the background. LL Cool J's character is is really a dick in this movie. Like one one girl like gets mad at him because 
he was hooking up with another girl. He comes in, he spits champagne on her. Like, jeez. Yeah, uh, the the team atmosphere is generally very very aggro, and th- this is all the kind of stuff that, and you know, the cocaine and whatnot, yeah, <laughs> and and you know, casually throwing alligators into the showers. <laughs> that was stuff. pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that stuff that. Where did he have it? Re- Where did he have? Did he go outside and just pick one up? I mean, they probably just got off a plane and he just had it <laughs> in like a carrier or something. Like, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. But. Yeah, it's all that. It's all those antics that uh, prevent this movie from having an NFL license. Because um, yeah, this movie is covered in all of that stuff. In fact, I kind of missed it when when we inevitably get to the the closing portions of the film where everybody's like making amends and the team is like coalescing. I was like, oh, everything's like running smoothly now. I don't like this. It's boring <laughs> because everything was so aggressive and chaotic up to that point. But. Yeah, this big party explodes because uh, Jamie Foxx, basically he he shits on the defense and basically talks himself up and says, like, oh, I, you know, I am the team, basically. And um, LL Cool J gets kind of catty on him and uh, talks behind his back, kind of re- plays a game of telephone with his mm-hmm. message and relays it to uh, LT. And LT, like, busts out the jaws of life or some shit. <laughs> and, like, pulls out the K-12, yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah he cuts uh willie beeman's uh suv in half yeah that's like a 1995 yukon like this thing is a hoss yeah then everybody's cheering on they love it uh <laughs> it's pretty great dude you had that one coming yeah uh, you know one one thing that's actually kind of funny about looking at like I, i'm talking about all these chaotic party scenes and like how aggro this movie is and stuff but when I really think about it, like, honestly, like, if I look deep within myself and, and look at this movie through the lens of, like, 2020 or something, like, all of these party scenes look so tame yeah. by today's standards. Yeah. It's like, yeah, like, just looking at all the people in particular, I was like, man, they had no idea what was coming. <laughs> Forgot Madman is making out with a different woman here, but uh, I do like him at that first party where he talking to the older lady she's like are you married she's like no i'm in between marriages she's like what do you do for dick <laughs> i can see just just absolute chaos just whatever you're like oh yeah the football team's gonna be here party wait what they're gonna what they're gonna wanted, be here i wanted his suit to be a little bit smaller yeah <laughs> the, the, sh- the sharks are coming here <laughs> Uh, but yeah, basically this represents like the the lowest point of the team, basically, because the next game they have is the rain game. Yeah, uh, there has to be one, um, and they kind of get their asses kicked, and it's mostly because Willie is still doing his thing, where he's trying to call the plays on his own, but his own team isn't responding to him. Ha- have you ever witnessed anything close to this in an actual football game? Where the offensive line just lets the do go through? No. Yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, I, I, I couldn't conceive of something like this happening just because, like, regardless of personal beef and whatnot, the will to win is generally pretty important. Well, there's something uh, there's something interesting here. They're having a conversation where uh, it's around this time where Al Pacino's like, listen, I... I'm trading him. At the end of the season, I'm trading him because he's a good player, but he's not good for this team. He's toxic. He's he's not good in the locker room. She's like, I don't give a shit. That, that's your job. Your job is to make it better in the locker room. 
and I think we're learning now uh, within the last few years. Like, yeah, there's just some things you can't you can't control certain players. Antonio Brown, one of the best receivers ever. He's I just saw it in the news again. He's still he's not in trouble, but they're just like I, he feels like he's the victim in all this. They're like, no, AB, you're the problem. <laughs> That's why you keep having to get moved teams. Uh, Earl Thomas, an amazing player. Uh, just can't. There's some, something happened where he just couldn't he just couldn't be in the locker room like they just couldn't have him in the locker room anymore it's like yeah he's an excellent player but he's not not for this team like we just can't have him on the team and i'm just wondering if that's something that's always been there and they're kind of touching on in this movie or if it's something kind of new yeah um i'm I'm not certain actually because it 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 works in this story um but it is a interesting concept to explore actually it's kind of funny how how that thread carries through this movie um, because spoiler alert um, the the actual ending of this movie carries all the way through most of the credits yeah um, it, it's very strange I, I kind of disagree with that um, it, it just feels very strange where it's like okay the credits are popping up on the screen um, but like really important shit is happening and like the real ending of the story is that uh, Al Pacino's character does not retire uh, he goes to play for a different team and he takes willie with him um so that completely puts a different spin on everything and about him saying like oh he doesn't belong on this team because it's like oh so hang on like you were just looking to the future <laughs> like like you're looking to like your own future rather than like the future of this young man you were like oh he's a useful tool maybe for me when i move to a different team <laughs> it's like yeah. a plan is forming and you have to you have to build your team around certain players like their strengths and yeah i could actually see that if he's like yeah we're gonna go to a new team and we're gonna build around you uh i i just don't think i don't think al pacino is gonna work well with cameron diaz uh in in the movie i think that's a bigger thing it's like i think i think he needs to go someplace else <laughs> Yeah, no, they 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 hate each other. They wanna, <laughs> they want to kill each other. Like, I mean, he almost takes a steel chair to her at one point. So I'm saying when he, when he gets to ye- like when he finally gets to yell, like it's like oh shit, like this is getting really this is getting bad. Yeah, I was really happy in that opening game when Dennis Quaid gets hurt. He gets a good fuck. <laughs> like, like, it's from the sidelines, and it's like it's not like front and center in front of the microphone or anything, but it's just like an Al- a classic Al Pacino fuck. <laughs> it's a juicy fuck. But um, the scene I, I uh, alluded to earlier happens around here as well, where it's a a very very drunk Al Pacino. Um, He's eyeing Elizabeth Berkeley from across the bar, but like I think he is too drunk to even like mm. wave. He he's all he can do is hold that glass and occasionally tilt it back. Um, it's him and Jim Brown, and they're sitting at the bar together, and they have a little exchange here where they're they're reminiscing about like the old days and how things used to be simpler. And Jim Brown mentions that he wants to go back to high school football because kids just want to play mm-hmm. like they're not in it for any particular brand of glory or, or wealth or anything they just they just want to get on the field and play and it feels more pure i don't know how much truth there is to that um but al pacino mentions uh, television having ruined everything and in 1999 this is kind of a statement of fact like i don't know if ruined is the right word but um just the explosion in popularity and just the accessibility of television certainly changed the presentation of the game quite a bit. And like 
like I mentioned earlier, like also affect it affected the way the game is played in some ways. The amount of uh, commercials I've seen for State Farm, Geico, Progressive, <laughs> it's almost torture at this point. Like, I, it's insane how many times I've had to watch those commercials. I fucking hate them. I hate them so much, Trevor. I hate I that. So, guy, guy. I'm so tired of uh, Peyton Manning and his uh, insurance Tweet, commercials. Yeah, the fucking Brad Paisley shit. Yeah. Uh, Peyton Manning is funny, but yeah, you can you can put a pin in that. Just I don't have a problem with Peyton Manning. I think he can funny. be very funny, but get a, get him in the studio and shoot a new one at the very least. Just and I don't even watch I don't even watch fucking football, and I've seen this well, commercial a million times. What sucks now with streaming is they only have two or three commercials that they just play over and over and over again during the breaks. Did you get the real estate guy um, from Queen Anne or whatever? Uh no, no I I don't get any local ones. It's all it's I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a screen capture because I got so mad at this guy that I had to send it to my brother and be like this motherfucker like, <laughs> keep your eyes out because <laughs> this guy sucks. <laughs> he is so hard to take seriously and it's it's a commercial that's so bad that it it's actually kind of like having me thinking if it's a troll or something like they have to know how bad this is this has to be intentional for like attention getting purposes mm-hmm. um but anyway back to the movie um i thought this conversation was really interesting and um it brings to mind like just just the the place that sports hold in in most people's lives in like society as a whole it's like i think like this is me speaking in extremely broad strokes and whatnot but I feel like like part of the appeal of sports is that it brings a lot of order to like the absurd chaos of of daily life. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's you know there's no plan, there's no guiding hand in your daily life. Like life is a big mystery, and we're all just trying to do the best we can with what we've got. Whereas a game, like like football or something, has rules. So it's like a it's like a bubble where in the confines of football everything makes sense for just a couple hours at a time and it there's some comfort that comes with that where it's like for a couple hours out of your day things are unambiguously just broken down to those two those two entities are trying to win the thing (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and they and they will be upset if they don't win the thing and that's what guides them to trying to win the thing see for me it's it's kind of like it's I don't know what's going to happen. It's something I can't predict. It's something completely new each week. It's like, what's going to happen? Uh, and the other thing is that you were saying that you really, uh, you kind of rally whenever you're with your family, when the Seahawks are doing well. Like, yeah, it, it's fun. Yeah. That's how I am with soccer. Like, if I go to a if I go to a bar that's like a, a club, that they've got like a soccer club there, I'm like, I'm going to have a great time today because I'm just going to rally around the home, like whatever team they're going for, and it's going to be fun. Uh, but that's the other thing is I like to watch football with people. It, it makes it a lot more fun because it it's a wild game. You see some crazy shit happen. You're like, oh, how did he catch that? Or fuck, that was a good hit. Or like, what? What the fuck are you doing? Like, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's a lot of fun. And I think for me, it's the uh, not knowing what's gonna happen is what makes it a lot of fun. Yeah, that is a huge part of it. I mean, I I like fighting. That's that's my sport and the 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 thing that makes it so fascinating is because you have all those on on paper you have all that on paper information about 
about the two teams or the two people who are being pitted against each other but it's not a math problem like it it isn't math like you can't just resolve the whole equation on paper you have to hit the play button and actually see how it plays out to actually get the result and like you said it is totally unexpected sometimes like um, and it's it's always exciting. Another another nice thing about living on the West Coast is the uh, the schedule for football. Football starts at 10 a.m. By the way, folks, if you're listening from the East Coast or from other some other part of the country, uh, West Coasters start drinking at 10 a.m. <laughs> on Sundays for football. It totally happens. You can come over here and totally have a beer at 10 o'clock in the morning. Totally fine. Uh, it's one one of the nice things about football is, is like oh 10 a.m. It's like all I have to do is like wake up, grab breakfast real quick, and football's on. It's great. <laughs> you don't have to wait until one. Being on the East Coast, oh my gosh, I hate watching football on the East Coast. It's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> uh, one o'clock, I gotta wait until one p.m. for the first. Game. If my team is playing in the evening game, I'm like, I'm, there's no way I'm gonna go to bed early. So is your brother like shaking his fist at you right now through the through the speakers? <laughs> He's not a huge football. His wife his wife is uh, uh, born to football. Okay. Um, well, around this point in the story, um, like we said, uh, LT has kind of decided like I'm going to play. I'm going to risk you know potentially death. Yeah. Um, I've signed. He signed his waivers and everything. Um, did you want to explain what goes on in the in the sauna here? This is a this is a really good uh, moment with LT and um, Willie. Willie walks in and he thinks he's alone, but he looks over and he sees uh, LT or Shark is in the sauna. He's just looking at him, and it's not really sure if he's mad or, or what. But LT just kind of like talks to him. He's just like he's talking like like barry sanders like joe namath you hear these names he's like yeah and there's a billion dudes that you've never even heard of that played the game and he's like when it's all done it's like you should look back on everything you've done not just what you did while you were a football player because it can be taken away from you like that and i don't know how it pertains to willie i think he's i think he's just trying to make willie he's trying to help willie but i think he's kind of coming to terms with that himself and I also think that's kind of a little bit of LT, that Lawrence Taylor actually kind of having a moment in the movie, too, where it's like, it's not just this. You have to look beyond this. Yeah, this would where this is where, like, the, the cluttered and somewhat sloppy nature of the movie um, rears its ugly head a little bit. Because Willie is a challenging character to pinpoint because he doesn't have, like, a, a traditional arc to him. Because the things that traditionally would be fingered as being like flaws in his character that need to be adjusted are routinely proven to be like positives yeah. <laughs> so like every objection that all the other characters are constantly yelling at him about still winning the games <laughs> like he's still he's still doing just fine um and it carries on all the way through the film um such that it's like okay what was the point of all that i mean we got some cool speeches though <laughs> but um around this time is where like uh, James Woods gets booted off the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a really he has a magnificent uh, explosion or implosion rather <laughs> yeah. um, uh, in public during a training exercise out on the field. And uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Matt Modine rats him out, and uh, he ends up leaving the team and whatnot. And uh, 
Al Pacino gets in hot water because he he pushes John C. McGinley uh, pretty hard and like cracks his head open. And uh, he had that coming. Yeah, he did have it coming, but and he doesn't really suffer any massive consequences from it or, or whatnot. But um, also Dennis Quaid, we've seen him doing a lot of training, like running a lot of drills with the team, but he's always like clutching his one arm. He never he never looks particularly confident, and he finally like has a, a heart to heart with uh, with his coach, and uh, makes it known that you know I I don't think I got it anymore. Like I, I as much as I want to keep doing the damn thing, like I I think it's time for me to hang it up. But um, it takes a lot of convincing, and uh, <laughs> I think uh, Al Pacino gives him a little peck on the cheek at one point. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's. Uh, it's interesting. He's, he's very, he's very, like, he's very handsy with his play. I think that's just Al Pacino. I think he's a very. Well, it, it's, it's a good thing he's Italian. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's not unexpected. He's, like, I've noticed that in other roles, he's kind of affectionate. Like, he's kind of touchy. Not, not in a creepy way. He's just. Yeah, it's not creepy. It's just, it's like, if it wasn't Al Pacino, like, if I tried to do that. Yeah. No, uh, people would be alarmed. <laughs> like Trevor, what happened? Like, I, did you hit your head? I have friends that are like this. They they do more hugs, and they're just more they're more touchy people. Uh, yeah, me, it's just like. Eh, eh. I mean, I think it helps if you're a, a diminutive older man when you can like cup like cup someone's cheeks in yeah. your palms. Like that that that's like a small old man move, I guess. It's like, in, it's endearing, but it, like it feels it feels natural between the two of them. It doesn't feel weird or anything. Oh yeah, no, they they have a long history together. They do have a little bit of like a paternal relationship going on. But yeah, he he urges Cap, uh Dennis Quaid's character to continue playing. Like do it do it for me and he he's like, "Okay, fine." I'm not a, I'm not a big Dennis Quaid guy. I just I don't think I've seen a lot of movies with him. I've seen a few, but I think he's really good in this and especially this next sequence. Like he he explains to him he's like, "Yeah, like I've got gaps in my memory. He's just like, I'm constantly in pain. It's just like, I don't think I can do it. I was getting frustrated with Al Pacino in this scene. He's like, if you were feeling like this, you should have told me. He's like, you know what? It's still in your head. It's just all in your head. And I'm like, I don't think it is. I, I, that really pisses me off, too. It's like when you're when somebody's in pain and they say, oh, I'm really hurting. Like, ah, it's not that bad. I'm like, motherfucker, I'm in pain. Like, it hurts me. Yeah, that again. That that's one of those questions that's in, impossible to really answer about ethics, because um, this movie doesn't answer it, um, and I, I don't know what the answer is myself. But it it is important to take notice whenever a person in a intensely physical line of work verbalizes that they're in pain, because more more than likely the people that do those kinds of things have very thick skin and are not exactly uh hardwired to show weakness Mm -hmm. so when when they're willfully showing you their stomach like showing you their tummy uh that means they're really fucked up (laughs) like like not a little bit hurt like a lot of bit hurt i think that there's i think there's a bit of a culture with football as far as injuries absolutely yeah uh, I have a friend who played football in New Mexico. Oh, also dog piles are the scariest fucking thing you can have without cameras. Uh, he, he said that some dude grabbed a hold of his dick and he, like he was screaming in agony. This dude was pulling it. He's like, it was purple for a few days. Like, uh, it, it was the most painful uh. thing he's ever experienced. But 
work playing through injuries. It's like if you tried to stop playing because you were injured or kind of hurting or hurting in the in football, it's like, well, motherfucker, nobody be playing. It's like every, everybody's in pain. You think I'm not in pain? Everybody is. My uh, my girlfriend's uh, her grandfather and her uncle uh, both played football for UW. Her grandpa was actually drafted by the Packers. Uh, I can't remember what happened. Uh, they're huge. <laughs> These guys are O line. These guys are enormous. But I remember her uncle was giving his uh, his son shit, who's also a big dude. I think he played. He was playing football at the time. He's like he's complaining about his knees hurting. Who cares about your knee hurting? Get out there and play. I'm like. I don't know, man. I I don't like it when my knee hurts. I don't want it to keep hurting. I kind of like those things. Yeah, I mean the the toxic masculinity has been a topic in recent years, and it's one of those things that's like you know it when you see it. But at the same time, much like a lot of the topics raised in this film, and just ethics and sports in general, like professional sports anyway. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like so, sometimes there is a place. Like sometimes it is necessary to throw dirt on it and get shit done. It doesn't mean it's the right decision. Doesn't mean it's a healthy decision, but it does mean things get done. I, uh, I'm kind of jumping forward a little bit to like the last big game, but it's just uh, LT on the like on the things. I hate Texas. <laughs> just immediately, <laughs> <laughs> it's just great. But they're like draining fluid from his knee, and you can. See, I think this is LT's knee because it looks like he's definitely had some surgery on it. Uh, but he shines the light in his eyes, like, how are the headaches? He's like, well, they were fine, so he started shining that light in my face. And I'm like, that doesn't sound good, man. I think that's the opposite of what's supposed to be happening. <laughs> and then immediately he asks for, like, cortisone. I think he asked for uh, something, and and uh, Matthew he's like, it just doesn't make any sense medically. You don't need that. And it's him kind of now battling. It's a part of the job that you don't think you're going to have to deal with. It's You have to deal with players now it's like players have needs like i need you were saying the one guy's like i need this 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 and this and like now you're in a situation as a doctor you're like "Ah, i could kill you if i give you any more i really don't want to do that well and the the problem with with professional sports is that there's so much money on the table and there's so many other people pushing to get other people's jobs Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's it's one of those situations where that's what leads to people playing hurt and playing medicated and stuff is because they they have no other option honestly um and in the doctor's case it's like well knowing all of that it it makes it very hard to turn that person down but um matthew modine has a has a dark like he has like a negative character arc here because he he does get james woods off the team the you know, supposed negative element of the team who repeatedly warned everyone that hey I'm, I'm i'm just doing what they want me to like i don't i don't feel like the bad guy but okay you're branding me the bad guy and he he goes not quietly but he goes no, he's not <laughs> <going> quietly <laughs> <laughs> but matt modine um he has a negative character arc in the form of just it's just like one frame actually it's during the final game where he doesn't have a presence really other than attending to some players who get injured during the game. But uh, we do get to see like one frame of him chatting with a cheerleader, just like James Woods had mm-hmm. been doing earlier in the film. So basically it's like confir- all but confirmed that try as he might, that job is just really difficult, <laughs> apparently. Uh, um, I forgot uh, Cap, after he had his conversation with uh, with Tony... He had to have the conversation with his wife, and it does not go over very well. 
Yeah, uh, Kyle, you want to let the folks at home know why his wife is the second biggest piece of shit in this movie? <laughs> and I feel bad for Dennis Quaid's character, Cap, in this movie. Like, he kind of gets talked into, like, he doesn't want to play. Like, he's, he just doesn't want to play, and I think he's planning on retiring probably after the season, and Tony convinces him, like, to to go out there and do it, so he tells his wife, he's like, yeah, after this season, I think I'm going to retire, and she's like, and do what? Like, what are you going to do? And he's like, well, I'll talk to somebody about being a commentator, and she's just very much like, uh, you're a football player, and she's like, I will not listen to this crap, and they kind of starts getting into an argument, and he's like... Ever since college, people have just been telling me what to do. And he's like, this is my decision. And she just, woo, open hand, palm, slaps him in the face. It's bad. Uh, he plays, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I don't know who did it, but he still plays. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, this scene is really brutal. Yeah. Because, like you said, there is that moment where he, he almost sounds like a child. Like He sounds like a teenager, like saying, like, you know, like every decision I've made in my life has been... At, at the will of other people and then she shuts him the fuck yeah, up by like, slapping. You shut that shit up. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, guess what? This is happening. <laughs> it's like, but uh, yeah, he does end up starting for the team. Um, but before the, the big the big game at the end, um, <laughs> I love that about the XFL. How they, because of trademarks and copyrights and whatnot, Super Bowl obviously is trademarked. You can't say that. Yeah. Um, they just called the the final game of their season the big game at the end. <laughs> the big game at the end of the season. Yeah, um, but uh, before we head into the game, like kind of have like everybody making amends a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like LT and and Willie kind of had they broke bread a little bit in the sauna, but Willie also rekindles things with his girlfriend somehow. Yeah. Um, oh, he pissed <laughs> off the girl he was on the date with. I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, that's that much is true. But like Al Pacino is is very 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 drunk. Um, and <laughs> at one point, <laughs> at one point he has an audience with uh, Cameron Diaz's mother. Um, I don't exactly remember what was said here, but she's like, she's this is the only instance in the entire film where she's lucid because she's like equally drunk. Yeah, uh, like equal to his level of drunk most of the film. But here she's very lucid, and uh, it, I think they're talking about. Uh, football and and her husband it's in response to what cameron diaz says at their last argument the one of the many arguments uh she's like before my dad died she basically says he's like he thought you were over the hill like he thought you were done and it was like a really shitty thing to say and mm-hmm. uh i think he was talking to he was talking to ann margaret about that he's just like did he think that i was like over the hill she's like i don't know and she kind of tells him like listen i hated you for the longest time it's like She's like, you didn't really understand, like, you didn't understand my husband. Like, you were kind of like a son to him. And that kind of overshadowed his relationship with her. So there's a little bit of resentment on both ends from that sad yeah. family. They, yeah, now that you mention it, that was like one of the big things that came from it was that Cameron Diaz is obsessed with running this football team because she's trying to appease her dead father, like live up to the image that she thinks he wanted for her. Um, and he wanted a son. She's clearly not a son, so she's trying her best. God a fucking damn it. beer. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I love that. Fucking yeah. beer. <laughs> um, but yeah, everybody kind of like makes amends a little bit for the most part, and uh, that brings us to the big game. And um, my memory betrayed me here. Uh, the big speech. The 
big speech, uh, the one that this film is probably known by people who haven't even seen it by, um, occurs at the beginning of the game, right? before the game. Yeah. I thought it happened at halftime. I misremembered. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was a halftime speech. It's actually a pregame speech. Which I think is good. You do it at the beginning of the game. Uh, I mean, it starts off like it's not going to be very compelling. He's like, we're in hell, gentlemen. It's like, he just, the way his energy ramps up as he as he goes along but i like a little bit of the um what's happening with the players before we get started with the speech uh the one guy's getting the wheatgrass caps taking a nap and then the one i love the receivers like i'm the greatest receiver in the world <laughs> I can catch you that, that actually comes up later it does it's yeah. actually kind of cool yeah. it it's one of those instances of the movie being like as ham-fisted as humanly possible where um he makes an important reception at the very end of the movie and when when he's on screen, like right before the snap, we actually hear that, like a, a reprise of the of the greatest receiver. <laughs> actually, uh, Terrell Owens, T.O. is in this movie. He's the guy that catches the ball. He was an actual uh, NFL player at the time, which we thought was kind of strange. Uh, yeah, he's the dude that has the helmet off. Big smile. You you couldn't have missed him. It, it, it was quick, but yeah. Oh, I remember T.O. Yeah, T.O. Yeah. I I didn't catch him in in the game, but it's um, so that's subtle. cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, of course, the, the iconic speech. Uh, Shark's about to cry. <laughs> He's about to break down. Like, this was riveting. Other dudes are getting jacked up. Like this. Yeah, the, the big pasty white goons that they put up front probably should have been pushed in the back. Because mm-hmm. they're kind of, like, no-selling the speech a little bit. It's like, dude, like... I see that guy like post up against the wall. He's doing like the toddler dance where he's yeah. just kind of like he can't sit still. He's just like, eh. <laughs> so, like he, he's just like uppity and he can't sit still. And the one guy's like gnashing his teeth. But for some we- reason, we have these like huge pasty white goons up front. They're just like grunting and <laughs> slowly <laughs> nodding. <laughs> it's like no, I want I want the guy that's all like jittery and going yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the speech is iconic. Um, look it up if you if you ever need motivation for something. It it is very well written and very very well executed. Although some of the editing, like I said, this is not an actor's film. Uh, Al Pacino gets some of his uh, steam pulled out of him in the form of uh, a lot of screen time devoted to Jamie Fox, like staring wistfully at him and slowly walking towards him mm-hmm. while we hear his voice from off camera, and it's like. You can tell that it's clearly out of sequence because there's that one bit where Al Pacino like points at him with a rolled up like playbook or something. Yeah, it's like semi slow motion. It's like clearly just like some random shot from from not that speech or something. But it's it's very good. Like I said, if you're in the need for motivation, look it up. Um, although I am curious, did you catch like somebody throws something against the wall as soon as he finishes <laughs> and they cut away from it immediately but there's like one frame of some foreign object hitting the wall behind his head probably a chair uh i'm not sure <laughs> um somebody got too into it and almost killed al so i was watching this like so the one guy i'm sure these guys have got like a, a tradition that they do like the one guy's got wheat grass that he's having and then you know cap's taking a nap which is probably smart that's what i would i get there early then take a nap uh, while i was there but i'm thinking back to ace ventura when uh uh, they're in the meeting. He's like, "Shit, you know how superstitious these players are." And he's got a rabbit's foot. <laughs> he just kind of puts it under his hand. I want to know. Like, I wish somebody would do an expose or like a documentary on like uh, weirdest athlete uh, rituals. Like, just 
uh, superstitions. I would love to watch that because yeah. um, I'm very fascinated by that because sports is that way. Like, like with that much on the line, especially like money and livelihood and stuff like that, in addition to glory and fame and whatnot. I, like a lot of a lot of people who find their way into sports are kind of like, there's a reason why there's a lot of fucking conspiracy theorists in MMA. Because <laughs> a lot of them seem hardwired to be superstitious <laughs> i heard somewhere that the reason why so basketball shorts used to be notoriously short uh and, and they started getting longer and i've heard that it was because michael jordan would wear his uh unc shorts underneath his regular shorts so they had to have longer shorts to cover him up and that that's kind of how longer shorts came about i don't know if that's true but i brought that up to bring up this about the toxic uh atmosphere in the locker room uh if you haven't seen it yet the la- uh the last last dance on uh, Netflix about the Bulls documentary where the a crew followed them for the 1998 season, um, and it also goes with like talks about Scottie Pippen, uh, Steve Kerr, Dennis Rodman. Um, there was a point when Michael Jordan was like running that team, like he was running practice, and it worked for them because Michael Jordan has an, an incredible work ethic. But I don't think it works when you're just like a prima donna wide receiver. So, yeah, it works if it's him. He can do that. He can make it uncomfortable in there. <laughs> I'll never forget uh, Juan Manuel Marquez um, when he was in the, the middle of his like four fight series with Manny Pacquiao. Um, HBO was HBO used to do uh, documentaries oh. of for every big yes. every big fight. I know because and they were they were they were very very compelling. Um, but his, at one point, um, he revealed that he had a pre-fight ritual, or at least a training ritual, of drinking his own urine. Oh. And and that's not unique to him, not nearly. There's many fighters who do that. But it was one of those situations where it's probably the first time it was ever captured live on camera by, you know, a prominent figure like HBO. And it was like, oh. that's curious. <laughs> I remember, I actually will put uh, honey in my coffee sometimes because I saw a fighter... Uh, making instead of do, doing sugar, he would put honey in his coffee. I'm like, ah, oh, I never thought to do that. Honey in the coffee, just like tea. I've never done that, but I'll, I'll try it sometime. I have some honey. It's a very, it's a very subtle. It, it's a little different, but it's a very subtle uh, sweetener. It, it really just more or less takes the bite out of it. it takes a little bit of the uh, the bitterness out. All right. Well, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. But, um, the the big game at the end of the movie is extraordinarily long. Mm-hmm. Um. So we're not going to cover all of it in detail, but we'll we'll hit some of the broad strokes here. But uh, anyway, the big speech is funny because it is a rousing speech. But again, I misremembered how this film played out. There was actually a couple of huge details that I misremembered. Uh, first was the speech. Um, I thought it happened at the middle of the big game. Um, but the the other one was that I thought LT died. <laughs> like, I, I, like honestly, I I I misremembered. I thought he died, but no, he doesn't. <laughs> Don't drop me. I'm worth a million dollars. <laughs> I thought it happened at halftime too. It would make sense because you got a rally at halftime. Yeah, but the the funny part about the editing of the movie is that we have this big speech, and then I think the first thing that happens in the game is they're losing. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I think they're down zero and seven or something. <laughs> but, yeah, and that happens again when Willie first gets put on the field. He he immediately throws an interception. Immediately. It's like, what the fuck is going well, on in the editing room, Oliver? He was kind of on the, uh, like, he was kind of going to do better. You could see it in his eyes during the speech. He's like, I got to make some adjustments. 
So it makes sense that he gets a little more time. He gets a couple of, like, at least a quarter to kind of think about it and, like, really, like, okay, I do need to, like, snap out of it. Give Cap some time on the field. Um, but, yeah, it may, it, should, it is kind of weird now that, you, now that I think about it. It's like, it doesn't make, it, it would have made so much more sense, like, have them losing and then go from that speech. Because when the speech comes up, you're like, did I miss, did I miss the first half of the game? What the hell happened? Yeah. Yeah, it, it just kind of pops up. It, it's very strange. Like, there's no fanfare. It just kind of arrives. And, like, if you hadn't seen the movie before, like like you said, it kind of starts out pretty slow and lumbering. You're like... Is it? Oh, like, is this it? And then he keeps going. You're like, oh, okay. It, and then it. they start playing the game, and they're like, oh, th- they're losing? <laughs> like, like, that seems like the kind of speech you would give and, you know, start winning. But yeah. no, no, they, they start losing immediately. And it needs to be said, even... The first time I saw this movie, when I was very young, um, I thought the opposing team here, the Texas team, was it the Knights? Yeah. Their, their uniforms are hideous. Oh, it's awful. Well, uh, you can't... They're like mustard color, and they have like an onk, and what's the what's the Mason's uh, pyramid eye thing on the center of their helmet? I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. But you can't, it, you can't it, license any, like anything close to any other like i uh any kind and of there's logo. so many college teams too they've yeah. already taken all the good designs but uh they, they, it looks terrible and on top of that the field looks bad mm-hmm. like the the type of orange and turf they gold have. it's just bad yeah the type of astroturf they have on the field looks like arena football or something it looks cheap i think B- and even though even the overhead lighting looks kind of like the there's a college team with a blue field i want to say it's byu but I'm not positive on that. But there is a team with a blue field. Um, it looks really stupid. I'm sure. <laughs> um, um, but oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna. I was gonna mention um, uh, Dennis Quaid's touchdown, which is really. I thought was really funny. Um, he gets a. Uh, you know, I. I don't like Adam Sandler, but I kind of like that longest yard remake. I remember it being pretty, pretty fun. Uh, except for Stone Cold dropping the end bomb. Uh, <laughs> I like. I don't think we need that here, guys. We could have could have done something else there. I think. I hope he got paid extra for that, because <laughs> because like knowing what we know about him as a person, I'm sure he was uncomfortable yeah, with that. I think he was probably uncomfortable with that. Um, but yeah, th- he kind of gets his uh, uh, Burt Reynolds in that movie. He has that like old man gonna go go in for the going for the touchdown. But Dennis Quaid ends up getting this touchdown. Uh, I think he fucked his back up again. But he, he's on the ground and he's not letting anybody grab the ball. It's his own teammates. He's like, no, no, no. I was like, dude, nobody's around you, man. Like, I just thought it was kind of funny. It's actually kind of a, a this his story arc is actually one of the the cleaner ones mm-hmm. in the movie. I, I applaud it. Like, I I too am not a huge fan of Dennis Quaid, but. Generally, he's he's adequate in every role I've seen him in, and the same is the case here. Like he he looks the part, especially like he looks like a '90s quarterback. He doesn't bring the movie down. It's just the movies he's in are stupid. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Like I I don't think he's ever brought a movie down, but I don't think he's ever sold a movie to me as well. Though, um, but Enemy Mine is a movie I might make you watch sometime. What's the one in space with him and Ben Foster? Pandorum. Ben. F- uh oh dennis quaid's in that i think so i believe i i don't know um i mean pandorum is a movie (laughs) yeah i think that's i believe he's in that oh well color me surprised but 
Um, yep. That, anyway, the first two names: Dennis Quaid, Ben Foster. Good memory. It's a space horror. That, that that that's another maybe. Um, I've always wanted to see that, even though I know it's trash. I'm sure it is. <laughs> like, but, I mean, it could be fun. New metal trash. Yeah, <laughs> but, and it's 2009. We're not. It's not quite new metal horror, but we could probably. Yeah, we're a little out of it by then, but. Um, yeah, that's that's a maybe. That's a maybe. Well, but. actually, technically, Slipknot are still going strong. They were like at the beginning of the new metal, and they are still go- they are still selling out arenas, dude. Keeping it alive. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Dennis Quaid, uh, Cap, his uh, his actions here, kind of it's like I said, it's, it's actually very efficient the way his story plays out here because we can see him like making a decision in the moment, and we get a lot of like. Saving Private Ryan, shaky cam, like POV shots of him deciding, like making an executive decision to carry the ball and and just head straight into the end zone. Um, and yeah, he takes a big massive hit, but the the payoff here is that in taking this hit, he's getting what he wants. This is his out, basically. Yeah. Where it's like now now I'm now I'm damaged in a way where I, my senses are still here, but I'm legitimately hurt. And can no longer play, uh, so he gets to, you know, gracefully exit the sport, and he gets to go out on a high note by, you know, putting some points on the board for his team in a really critical match. Um, I think but- Philip Rivers just retired. Uh, he was in San Diego for a long time, but uh, I wonder if his wife uh, slapped him around a little bit because he's got like nine kids, like oof, actual nine. Ki- oh no. To retire as a Charger. He's going to go back to the Chargers. Uh, he was with the Colts this season, so he's going to go back and retire with the Chargers. But, yeah, I wonder what I wonder if his wife's going to slap him around a little bit. Like, we got we got nine kids, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, goddamn, that, that's a... Whether you're motivated or not, that is a responsibility. Oh, Lord, uh, Kyle is showing me a family photo. Yeah. That's 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 a lot, man. Uh, he has one, two, three, four, five, six girls, two boys. Six girls. <laughs> Could you imagine? No, of course oh my not. Gosh. <laughs> Dude, don't retire. <laughs> you should be burned on a pyre when he's 60, still playing that game. Like, Put him on the pyre. This is how he wanted to go. 60 years old. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so, basically, Dennis Quaid is out of commission. And now Willie has to go in. Like, it it's seemed evident that he was going to get put in at some point. Like, it d- just seemed to be a little bit of an understanding that, like, at least to us, the audience, that's like, yeah, he's got to go in. Um, anyway, he goes out there. Like I said, the first thing he does is throws a fucking interception. But he apologizes to the team in the huddle and they immediately come around um so everybody's gelled once again the team is a unit and uh they do pretty well and then we have our next big moment in the game where uh, lt has his moment where uh the whole movie grinds to a halt we get some like it's like a, it's like choir music or something <laughs> and uh everything plays out in slow motion and uh he gets a tackle and it doesn't look like that big of a hit, but he doesn't get up. Um, and then everybody scrambles out on the field. And like I, miss, like I said, he does not die. I thought he did. He's but. uncaught. Like, like he looks dead. <laughs> they go to like, I don't think he's alive, guys. 
Yeah. But like Al Pacino's like slapping him in the cheek and saying like, talk to me, talk to me. Don't, don't, don't. And Matt Modine's like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, and uh, yeah, he wakes up and uh, he gets carried on a stretcher. And uh, that's the end of his story. Uh, but he got what he wanted as well. So he gets to, I guess, retire with his bonus. And um, hopefully he doesn't get slapped around by his wife and his yeah. nine kids or whatever. Because he does have a lot of kids in the stands. Yeah. Like, I did see that. Uh, so hopefully everybody at home is okay with that. Um, but yeah, around this time is also where we get the uh, the I'm the greatest receiver in the world catch, which um, I guess we just felt compelled to resolve his story or something. Not that he was ever a character, but that whole play gets rolled back because a penalty was called on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's unfortunate. Uh, and he's not the greatest receiver in the world. Devontae Adams is the greatest receiver in the world, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Um. Yeah, he he doesn't have much of an arc. I I I just liked his little mirror scene. I think that really stood out, and it, maybe a little bit more with him and LL Cool J because they're kind of besties. Like they they hang out quite a bit. Um, and he's actually kind of cool with Willie when he comes up there. He's you know keeping the peace. He's like, Coach, have you come over and talk to him or come over for the jambalaya? Uh, yeah, that's for that. That goes downhill pretty quick. Um. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. Maybe they did have more stuff, more stuff with him. They just kind of took him out. Well, this this is all about just like tying things up, I guess. Because yeah. even LL Cool J, he gets his moment here where he 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 makes an important play and he steps out of bounds, um, as opposed to trying to go for the glory and you know get a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Like the job was to get it downfield and get out of bounds so we can stop the clock, and he does that. I don't know what position he's playing. I. Thought he was a running back. I think I saw him in the backfield, but I wasn't sure because he's talking about getting catches. I'm like, well, if you're a running back, you you can do that. Yes, that is a big part of the game now is running backs taking catches. But at this time, it'd be like you're a running back, so you would just be getting handed the you would just be handed the ball. But yeah, I'm not sure I mean, what his position was. You would know better than me, but uh, I don't remember seeing him catch many passes. Although he gets a lateral here, like that's the <laughs> that's the big trick here he's barely barely plays like that's yeah. why he's upset i mean ll cool j is a busy man yeah like he <laughs> like he, he probably had other shit going on he probably wasn't able to be on set all the time or something oh yeah because he was kind was of lo- this he was pulling up one pant leg at this time like that was yeah he was still pretty big deal yeah and deep blue sea was a few years off yeah <laughs> i have there's I'm actually very curious. I haven't bothered to do a lick of research, but I have a theory that LL Cool J is unkillable. He is unkillable, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he is unkillable. He's actually, like, um, he's in incredible shape. Uh, yeah, like, has been for a while. Like, they're like, no, no, he's, like, professional athlete in shape. Like, that's what he just does. He, he does that. Like those yeah, kind of no, I remember the transition point because he was not like that in Deep Blue Sea. He was kind of husky. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he got those abs, and when you have those abs, you take your shirt off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in yeah. every movie, yeah. even if it doesn't make sense. Like, pop this shirt um, off real quick. <laughs> it's cold. I need, to t- I need to take my shirt off. Huh? huh? <laughs> um, but yeah, LL Cool J in my mind, is unkillable. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I haven't perused his filmography, but every movie I've seen him in where he should have died, he does not. <laughs> so in my mind, unkillable. Um, but yeah, anyway, the the big match kind of comes to an end. 
um, with everybody getting their glory in some fashion, and it's it's a it's kind of fun. I mean, you want to explain like the the final play of the game, Kyle? Sorry, he's he's in Halloween H two O. Isn't Bust Buster Rhymes in Halloween Resurrection? Yeah, he's he's uh, like campus security in H two O. Yeah, I don't and think... I don't believe he dies in H two O. Don't think he does. Uh, the the this last little bit here. Yeah, I think um, I think we get down. Doesn't Willie run it in? Doesn't he run it in at the last second there, or just get lit up and flipped over? <laughs> uh, yeah, he does that at one point in the game, but I'm actually struggling to remember. Oh, uh, some yeah, Willie hops. He like hops the line. Um, into the end zone. He reminds me like uh, my buddy and I were watching this, and I'm like, he reminds me so much of Cam Newton. Uh, well, not so much now. Uh, back when Cam Newton was in his prime, uh, Cam Newton. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He was a quarterback for the Panthers. Huge, yeah. just really big guy. Um, he was kind of like really, really like just a really, really cocky f- player. Like just like kind of really agitating if you were not a Panthers fan. Um, but he had one of these. Yeah, play- Amer- America wasn't the biggest fan of Cam Newton. Yeah, put it that way. I liked I liked Cam Newton for fantasy football. I thought he was pretty great. Um, <laughs> he did. He was playing the he was playing the Packers, and uh, they were on they were like on the four yard line. They're about to score, and Clay Matthews uh, says like, "Hey, do this or whatever." And uh, you hear him in the you hear uh, Cam Newton in the huddle go, "You've been watching film, huh? Uh huh. Watch this." And then they scored a touchdown. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> It was a perfect mic death where we like you're watching the play in real time. You heard him say it. Um, yeah, it was really really frustrating. But he had one of these plays where he was he's that quarterback. He he was so big he could take the hits. It wasn't that big a deal. So he'd take off running and get hit, which is not what you're supposed to be doing as a quarterback. You're supposed to slide so you don't get hit. But he had one of these plays where he went in, flew up in the air, did a flip front flip and landed on his feet in the end zone. It's incredible. Have you not seen that highlight? I probably have. Oh. I just didn't. I don't remember him. I just. I've probably seen it. What, what's even crazier is he's like six five and like probably two hundred and fifty pounds. It's like how how did he pull that off? It's insane. <laughs> well, I'm sure he doesn't know. Like he just landed on his feet and he's like, "Well, this is good." Well, <laughs> uh, but yeah, they they win the game and um, kind of similar to the replacements, the movie you haven't seen. I. It's kind of a funny place to end the story because this is just them getting entry to the playoffs. Yeah, um, they weren't. They're not going to make it to the Super Bowl. They're they'll have a good run. They might get maybe two two games into the playoffs, but they're not going to get far. Oh, with all their injuries and you know, with a coach who's just kind of checked out and looking to the future, and and with their quarterback situation the way it is, it's like no, they're they're all busted to shit. Yeah, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, the story ends with them getting entry to the playoffs and i believe the replacements just kind of ends on a similar note where it's a it's a team of scabs who the normal roster is going to be folded back into the team so all the people we've been following throughout the entirety of the film are going to be excused from the roster so it's like it's an important game but it's not like the super bowl or anything it's just like oh our tenure with the with this team is up and the movie's over so that's the end of the story because nobody cares anymore um but yeah we get like a post-game chat between uh willie and uh coach damato and they're like on the field after all the noise has settled down and they're just alone and uh there's that 
phrase they use several times in the film of any given Sunday. Mm-hmm. Like you can either win or lose and point is to take it like a man. Um, and it's like D'Amato's tone here suggests that he's going to retire. Like I, I think he even uses the phrase like I'm, I'm done after this. And what we're led to believe is, yeah, he's going to retire. But then we get this whole several minute sequence at a press conference where Cameron Diaz is like opening a foundation for her like family or something. It's like a public outreach thing for the city, like city of Miami. And it's there that we see Al Pacino announce that he's going to move to an expansion team in like Arizona or something. And he's taking Willie with him. And it's like this like big thing that's like, why, why is this, why are the credits playing out over all of this? And why do the credits look like the opening of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2? I, I was going to say the mask, the the green glow. Or, yeah, or like, yeah, yeah, or even very similar. Twin Peaks, I think, has green font. It does, yeah. it does. I liked it. I like a green font. You don't see it too much I these do days. too. Bring it back. Bring back but, green font. But yeah, the, the movie kind of ends with a, a new beginning being signaled for Coach D'Amato and, and Bully Beam. And... <laughs> that song has been... That's what I hate about watching this movie is that song is gonna be stuck in my head for the rest of the week. I've been singing it all night, the whole like <laughs> the, like leading up to this. I'm like, really beaming. They keep the ladies. Yeah, ugh. <laughs> Metrics. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, the, folks at home, at the very least, look up. Look up the speech and look up the Willie Beeman music video wow. because um, some of the poses and, in particular, him struggling to find the straw of his metrics drink. <laughs> it's his smile that he gives. Yeah. That's <laughs> like Buddy Love. Figuring. It's like Buddy Love. It is. It is. Yeah, it's totally Buddy Love. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was Any, any Given Sunday. Um, it's a it's a solid football movie. It's it's a it's more raw than you would expect from like a modern football movie cuz because the NFL has gone to such great lengths to like sanitize its product in recent years, you don't really get football movies anymore. Mm-mm. At least not of this scale, with with like a cast like this and with subject matter as like quote unquote edgy as this. Yeah, like that concussion movie. <laughs> what the fuck happened to that? I don't know. <laughs> it got squashed. Like, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, you shut them the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, no, you gotta you gotta keep it to like college or high school. Like the last good one I saw was. Friday Night Lights, which is it's really good. Uh, th- I think that's a better football movie, like actual, like about the team. This is more about the drama behind the scenes and stuff like that. But I think that uh, Friday Night Lights is probably the best football movie. And we were having more fun with football movies back then. Like uh, Varsity Blues was a big one. I still haven't seen yeah. Rudy. I feel like I should, but I've been told to. Like, you can skip it. <laughs> Uh, Rudy, as far as I know, is like one of those feel-good underdog football movies, kind of like Rocky on a field. Um, <laughs> I, I skipped it as well, but um, most of the football movies I've seen were like comical in nature, mm-hmm. like Necessary Roughness, and the the old Longest Yard was was kind of silly. I remember that. Uh, I I watched that one. Yeah, it, it was fun. I, my favorite part was when uh, Richard Keel uh, power bombs the guy and says, "I think I broke his fucking neck." <laughs> <laughs> I needed more uh, Joey Diaz in the remake. Can of oh, corn. I didn't know he was in the remake. Oh, I've never seen it. Can of corn. Uh, <laughs> Joey Diaz is pretty funny in there. Uh, but yeah, but of course, there's some you know latent 
late in his career, Adam Sandler homophobia in the uh, in the movie. You, you're not gonna get away it, from it, that. Yeah, it, it's it's just gonna be there. You gotta yeah yeah just you know take the good with the bad sometimes. Yeah, dropping in bombs. Maybe don't do that in a fun movie, huh? Uh, yeah, maybe not. That's, that's a different <laughs> that's a different movie, Adam. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, so on your rewatch, did you did you enjoy it? I did, but it, it it's long. I think because of I think because I have more movies under my belt now that I'm you know older and doing a weekly podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, things like the the editing bothered me a little bit more. Not not the not the moment to moment edits. Not the MTV shit that I went on and on and on about early in in the recording. Um, just like the the way the characters were handled and their their arcs and whatnot it's it's sloppy like some characters are handled much better than others but um the main thing is that the whole reason why i brought up the nature of the the movie feeling like i was watching a telecast of football is that i feel like maybe there is some truth to that because the story doesn't really have much of a point like most of these characters don't end up any better or worse than they started um it's just kind of like the story of a football team and and how chaotic the the management of a football team can be yeah. um so it's not like it has any like grand sweeping message that's trying to broadcast to the world it's not that kind of oliver stone product where he's trying to like expose some sort of truth that was hidden from us it's just it's just a movie and it's a pretty good one well that's, <laughs> that's what this movie was doing was that that's why the, at the t- at the at, time yeah, yes at the, at the time. time yes not now no um, we yeah we know dude people are no. yeah cte we, we're, we're well aware we have concussion protocol now well yeah we have cte and then we also have peds is the other thing that, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't really get talked about as much as it needs to be they're all juicy <laughs> they, they i i think i think honestly they have to otherwise they'll break yeah like it's not even to make you stronger; it's just to keep you from falling apart from week to week. It's just a fine. <laughs> it's not that big a deal. You just get fined. If- no, human beings aren't bumper cars; they're not meant to slam into each other like that. Yeah. Not when they weigh three hundred pounds and go fifty fucking miles an hour. Yeah. So- <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, this was any given Sunday, directed by Oliver Stone. Uh, surprisingly the first time we've covered him on the show right i'm um, from 19 yeah i know uh from 1999 but uh if you'd like to catch up on any of our other catching up on cinema content uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catching up on cinema.com uh, we also have a couple of social media accounts in the form of an instagram at catching up on cinema as well as a twitter at catching cinema so feel free to hit us up there if you have any questions or suggestions for future programming and whatnot and the show is also uh, available on pretty much any podcasting platform you can imagine. So just fucking Google it. Um, Google but yeah, it. that being said, <laughs> that being said, uh, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.